1: Hey, what's up there, Surf Splendor listeners? David Scales here, bringing you a super-sized episode today of Surf Splendor, Um, an episode of Surf News, actually, with Scott Bass, of course. And then after Scott and my conversation, I'm going to tack on a little bonus piece. Um, It's an interview that Scott did with a guy named Ray Bonitao, who owns a company called Entropy Resins. It's here in LA, Southern California, and... um, Basically, it's a surfboard resin company, but it's bio-based product. So um, less harmful, really interesting. He's a cool dude. I've met him over the years a number of times, and um, he's a cool dude. And he's going to be participating in Scott's boardroom show, which happens to be taking place this upcoming weekend. So Scott did an interview with him um, and then gave me that file. I'll tack it on at the end of today's show so you can educate yourself on bio-based resins and sorry, it's another computer loading, <laughs> at any rate, uh, yeah, so the boardroom show, if you're local, come by, check out the boardroom show, boardroomshow.com is the website, you can buy tickets at the gate, though, they're 10 bucks, it's at the Del Mar Fairgrounds in San Diego, May 16th and 17th, really rad event, I'll be there, Scott will be there, and, uh, hopefully we'll cross paths, all right, uh, if you're not there, check out com or do that no matter whether you come to the show or not. But it is um, our website. We have everything archived. All past episodes are available, but then all the videos and photos that accompany all the past episodes. We even have a music page with playlists of every single song ever used in every episode of Surf News for all the edit edits and transitions and all that sort of stuff. So... uh. Check that out, and I think that is it. Follow on social media, and again, thank you for reviewing the show in iTunes. We've I, um, gotten a few reviews in the last week or two, and that's always positive. Keep the emails coming if you want to send feedback about the show. I've received a few um, recent suggestions for types of shows that we should do, people that we should interview, um, things that you know we could focus more on, and uh, but it's all positive, and it's all it's actually helps stimulate my creativity if nothing else. I might not run with your idea, but you know, it it gives me other ideas. And so some of the stuff has been festering in the back of my mind as well, and until I actually hear it said out loud or just in text and in an email, I don't really confront it. So it's kind of good just to have kind of an open dialogue. So I always appreciate that. And then the other place to share those thoughts more publicly is on SurfSplendorPodcast there's a comment section for every every show so you can leave stuff there if you want other people to see it all right that is a lot of talking for me to do in this intro so without further ado here's today's episode of surf news with scott bass i hope that you're enjoying the rio pro right now i'll be back at the end to sign us off
2: Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody, down the line, Surf Talk Radio.
1: Back in action.
2: That's right. And it's Tuesday, May 12th, 2015. Scott Bass and David Scales with you here, broadcasting live from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. And, uh, David, good morning.
1: Good morning, the one and only Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. I feel more cultured just being here.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just looking through a book here of interesting surf images. and um,
1: It's a good way to start out any broadcast is by focusing your attention on a book. Yeah, I'm a little scattered, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, you look like you've been missing sleep the last couple of nights. You no, feel I've okay? been
2: sleeping almost too much. I'm kind of under the weather a little bit.
1: Oh, no, dude, because you got a pretty big event coming up.
2: That's right. This weekend, the Boardroom International Surfboard Show at the Del Mar Fairgrounds, May 16th and 17th come one come all it's going to be a good time and um i do want to tell listeners on another note um that at the end of our surf news podcast here at the end of this discussion that david and i have we're both going to be going right into an interview with ray Bonatau, who is the owner and head chemist at entropy resins and he he and his brother his company create uh the sustainable bio-based um uh, epoxy resin. So is it
1: Bonitao? I thought it was Bonato. Uh
2: you know, I, I don't I don't know I've I never constant, actually... I constantly butcher his last name. Okay. And I asked him about it specifically, and it's Tao. Oh, okay. As in Buddha Tao. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I've never heard it pronounced. I've just seen it. I actually um do you ever, you know, Grant Ramey, right? Yes. That's why. Do you ever see the commercial I did with Grant? We put together a commercial for entropy resins like a long time I'm ago. I'm not sure if I n- remember that. I don't know if I should advertise it. I should have looked at it before today's show to see if it was worth, like, I don't want people. Cats out of the bag. Up. Yeah, yeah I know. Cats out of the bag. YouTube now, it. Now I basically need to dig it up and just rewatch. But basically it's this, uh, bio-based resin that you're talking about, which is supposed to be safe, you know, whatever, not, not harmful. So Grant came up with this commercial idea and it was like we shot the thing and basically the first scene is me go jogging down the beach and then stop to take a sip and I go to sip the bio-based resin and Grant slaps it out of my hand and hands me water. Cut to next scene, I am uh, got pancakes on a plate and I go to put syrup on it and I use the entropy resin and he slaps it out of my hand, hands me the, the syrup instead you Cut. guys were hating Are no 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 it's a joke it's like oh. oh this is bio-based i can eat it you know right so then the third one is uh me in the shower and i go to grab some shampoo or go to grab the uh, bio-based resin to use as shampoo pan back and it just got creepy by yeah, the grant standing behind me in the shower taps me on the shoulder and hands me shampoo oh, instead that's yeah. no, really he's creepy like, yeah then he's like no you're supposed to use this only for surfboard production don't drink it you know
2: Oh, interesting.
1: So, yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, we're definitely but,
2: digging that. There's your mussy moment. Well, right I'll, there. I'll,
1: honestly, if I find it, I'll put it up. But I'm hoping that uh, <laughs> it's actually worth watching. Wow. I'm looking
2: through this book, this Surf Collections book by Gerard DeCoster here in the library at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. And what do I find but a postcard from Terrigal, New South Wales. I lived in Terrigal, New South Wales. Is it from you? No. Sent that home? Random postcard, but Terrigal's not the, you know, the biggest little surf city on, you know, no, unless you know it, you know sure. it. You don't know it, but sure. Terrigal, New South Wales. That's random. The Terrigal um, Haven.
1: So obviously, are you uh, all ready to go for the weekend for the boardroom yeah, show? Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You stressing or are you No, no, or?
2: no. I mean, no, it's just putting out little fires, helping people find their way, you know?
1: Okay, cool. It's all good. Good. It's unfortunate that now looks like, like you said, you're getting a little bit sick. That happens sometimes leading into the holidays and stuff when you're just running so fast at a goal, then you get to the goal and your body just shuts down, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've been fighting a little something. It's not, it's been just kind of lingering.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully you make it to the weekend, dude. Oh, I will. I'll be fine. By by Monday, you'll be sleeping it off probably. Yeah. We'll see. Well, dude, we have a, a lot to cover in this show. All right, you want to well, get right into yeah, it? Yeah, we better. All right. Uh, do you see that massive swell at Puerto Escondido?
2: Well, of course. I think everybody saw it, right? It was mental.
1: How insane was that?
2: It was death-defying.
1: It looked unsurfable.
2: It really is. When That one major day, I think it was Thursday. Yeah. Um, that day is basically like, you know, there's only a few guys that are really going to do that. and right. Some of those guys, you could say, might be doing it for the wrong reasons, but... Um, I don't know. It's gnarly, you know. Like, my hats are my hats off to those guys. That, I mean, only really one or two waves was successfully completed on that day,
1: and and success is defined differently on that day. I mean, I don't think they even made it to the end of the wave. It was just they made a drop and maybe pulled in. I think success is like <laughs> you could say they lived. Yeah, that's, that's true. A, that's
2: a success.
1: So I think there was like basically four or five guys that paddled out there that day. Mark Healy being one of them probably the most notable among them and i've never been down there but the way that i saw healy talk about it was that he paddled out from the harbor so there's like a harbor 30 minutes away yeah you obviously can't paddle out from the beach yeah so he went down to a 30 minute away harbor paddled out and then all the way down yeah. to the beach break and then tried to catch waves from the back essentially
2: yeah and that's the beauty of puerto Escondido. no matter how big it is eventually you can get out dry hair um even on a six foot day if you don't want to pound which is a pain in the ass to get through a six foot Porto sure. with. You can just go down the beach and paddle out dry hair. Okay, you know, just ha- it's kind of like how much do you want to chew off, right? To to get out there.
1: Well, that day there was only one option. It right. Like. Yeah. I talked to I saw Reef McIntosh yesterday, and he said he was down there for that swell. He didn't even paddle out. And it was re- kind of
2: ugly, wasn't it? It's, yeah. it's always got a little morning sickness. It's a like super raw type of swell, you know, like just. It's always better the two days after that big right. swell when it's like cleaned up. It's the sun comes out. It went offshore. It always is a little nicer for you and me and the average guy a couple of days after that event.
1: Yeah. Well, Reef's not a guy who will back down. No, obviously, no. I mean, he's one wave of the winter on insane on an insane wave at off the wall, and he was just like, yeah, I wasn't even like I wasn't even interested in going out there, you know? Yeah. But he's he was flying down last night again because there's another swell lined up that'll be a proper swell. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but a couple notable things, I mean, Mark Healy's wave, I mean, they're saying that's the biggest wave ever paddled into big left at Puerto and he, he makes, he makes the drop slowly kind of off the bottom and then tucks in high and gets barreled. Doesn't come out. It wasn't like a proper double up. Like it would be on the sandbar because it's bigger, it's breaking deeper outside, but he still pulls into the thing and it is insanely massive
2: yeah it was just a a radical wave radical drop could be the biggest wave i'm not here to i'm no expert you know
1: you kind of are dude well stake a claim okay well
2: (laughs) i I will say that um without seeing all of the possible entries for the largest paddle paddle in wave that's certainly if not the largest paddle in wave it deserves to be in the top five i'm sure it is and again um you know in fact, I think I put out an Instagram or something on my Facebook that basically claimed that it was. Yeah. Um, it's, kind, it's kind of like one of those things where, look, when you get to that level, it's kind of like your hands are in the air. It's, they're all huge. Like, they're all 45-foot waves. Like, to paddle into a 45-foot wave yeah. or a 40-foot wave or a 35-foot wave or a 50-foot wave, anywhere within 20 feet of 45 feet is huge. Totally. You know, it's, totally. it's like, okay, we get it. It's huge. You know, I'm not going to break out the measuring stick. It was massive.
1: Yeah, Exactly. There, what about that worst wipeout of the century? That was insane.
2: <laughs> that, was, that was the best part of the swell from you and our, from our vantage, right? Yeah, yeah. As fans yeah. Yeah, watching the action. That I, was
1: awesome. I, I don't even know who that guy is. I've never seen him before. I don't know his name. Um, maybe just like a local charger, but it was absolutely nuts.
2: Um, yeah, it was crazy. There's some footage that Tony Roberts took that, that you show a guy kind of looking at the wipeout inside the camera viewfinder. And then Tony turns the camera on him and he kind of starts talking. And I think that might be the guy, but I'm just oh, okay. assuming that Tony,
1: but, Tony's a good friend of mine. I've had him on the show and stuff. Um, I should have reached out to him for comments about this. He whole was he, Yeah. Cause he, cause cause he was, was there right there, there
2: on the front lines. A lot of his footage got used on, yeah. on Surfline and yeah. Definitely on Facebook and stuff and was thrown around, bandied about on Instagram and stuff. And
1: he's a big player in our fantasy league. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, cool. Pretty, he does pretty well. He's a
2: red hot surfer and oh, a great guy. And uh,
1: 50-year-old Grom, hashtag it. You'll see him ripping. That's Tony, huh? Yeah. He <laughs> so, reminds,
2: he's sort of living the life that vicariously I'm, I'm kind of following through. But, you know, I say that I got to say that I, I don't, I'm very happy with my life. I have beautiful children, a beautiful wife. I surf my brains out. I go all over the world. It's just that he just seems to just, it's just him and he's
1: surfing every day in, in really Reef, yeah. good ways. Yeah. In and he's
2: telling us about it. And at some point I'm like, God, that guy lives a pretty good life. He
1: does. I'm going down there. Is he married? No. Yeah. Well, there's this secret. A All my bottom. friends
2: that are 50 that aren't married are, we're like down at Scorpion Bay for that last right, swell. Or, or they have planes or they, or they're independently wealthy or they married into an independently wealthy situation. And right. You know. Well, he's got a beautiful. Or their daughter. kids have gone on to, I, you know, like when my kids go on to college, sure.
1: I'll have some more freedom to do freeze those. up a little bit of time. Yeah. Tony's got a beautiful daughter, and um, he's teaching her how to surf and do yoga and all that, so she's living the lifestyle too. She's got it made. Um, but well, I'm, speaking of to Tony, yeah,
2: um, if, uh, I guess we, I guess I could segue into this sort of sad thing because I know Tony posts about it. But Sean Barney Barron passed away, rather you know suddenly i would say i think i want to say he was like 46 years old something like that 44 44 and um i mean that came out of left field you know just yeah. boom i guess he had an aneurysm or something they're still we're still waiting for the autopsy report mm-hmm. to come in but it, either way to die at that uh, sort of young of, and and such a uh such a neat guy and an interesting guy and a gregarious guy and a fun loving guy and he had some of those same attributes that Sonny Miller had that was just this guy that was just fun to be around constantly, like mm-hmm. he, you know he was just a ball of wonder, you know, and uh, certainly sad. I don't know if you have any thoughts on barney's passing
1: I do um We normally end the show with the Duke and Cook, but I'll just lay it out right here. Barney's my Duke um I grew up it i mean he was he kind of was at the height of his fame when I was really getting into surfing when I was younger. And so um, I'm a huge fan and yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. He was just fun. You know, now we look at Mason Ho is like the guy who's having the most fun in the water. I think Barney was probably that for my generation. The raddest thing about it was in a time when people only really wore black wetsuits. I mean, in the 80s, there was the neon wetsuits, but then it was black predominantly. He had this line of superhero wetsuits You know, he got hotline to make him a red and blue one, but then he drew in with a marker Spider-Man webbing on all of it. (laughs) And then that was like the first one. And then from that, he did like a Superman one and a Batman one. And uh, so just always having a good time. He... I remember him doing the Barney roll, which was like an actual flip on a surfboard. Prior to people even doing like full air reverses, he was doing flips essentially, and it seemed to just really get unacknowledged. I saw a number of them in Greg Browning's um, drive-through series. There was the drive-through Japan, I think was the one that uh, he did a flip in, and it's just like yeah, in the middle of the video, somewhere at the fifteen point, you know, thirty-six minute mark here's a flip from Barney and then moving on to the next thing. And I'm like, what the heck is a kid just tripping out? So um, yeah, he
2: sort of, um, he sort of carried on that, that legacy of the Santa Cruz progressive movement, you know, that started way back when, right. He just kind of filled in that evolutionary time, uh, you know, that space and time, you know, starting back with, you know, Kevin Reed and, um, and there were some other guys too that are missing my mind right now. But, but you know, like, those guys have always been progressive right and then you get to like barney and Ratboy boy and that kind of era and and even flea all those guys right mm-hmm. they radical sort of they've, they've been known to be aerialists up there and well, Ari- so i just sense that it was just part of you know not only was it in him because barney like i say was just the gregarious sort of artsy, artsy guy that you, you know didn't really have any parameters or any nothing really bound him yeah. And, um, and that surfing sort of just played that out. It just, you know, it manifests itself.
1: Right. Yeah. And not only innovative aerialists, but then charging Mavericks as well.
2: Yeah. That's the neat thing that people have been bringing up, right? Is yeah. that he covered both realms, you know, which again, like a lot of those Santa Cruz guys do. I mean, a lot right. of those guys were, you know, when it's two foot at the river mouth, they're busting aerials. And, you know, it's just, that's just what they do.
1: Well, um, a listener sent me an email yesterday in the afternoon to a link on Hulu for Josh Pomer's film called The Westsiders. Yeah. And I remember when that film came out and I did not get a chance to watch it. And uh, But it's on Hulu for free. So I'm going to post a link to that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Josh Palmer is a filmmaker from back in the 90s, did a lot of films, but about a year or two ago, made a film called The West Siders, which focuses on these surfers from the west side of Santa Cruz, and specifically, Sean Barney Barron, one of them, Flea, Rat Boy, and to a lesser extent, uh, Vince Collier, and there's some really interesting stories, and it kind of pulls no punches and tells some pretty gritty stories, but also gives fantastic insight into Barney and a lot of his artistic endeavors and creativity. And he explains some of his, um, mental, like just the way of thinking essentially. He I want to watch that. Yeah, it's really good. I want to
2: see that. And I'm hoping that it's, it's as, um, insightful and as well-rounded and, um, and really tells all the truth, you know, behind all of these characters, because that's what any documentarian wants, right? Is yeah. to get, get to the truth.
1: I don't know how um, comprehensive it is, and it's a little kind of overproduced and a little melodramatic, but it still gives a lot of insight, you know? Yeah. Well, we'll have to check that out. Yeah. So, Duke of the Week, Sean Barney Barron, rest in peace. Well, um,. Do you want me to go into my Duke and
2: Cook, or do you want me to wait? No, let's save it to the end. Okay, so the Mavericks Surf Contest battle, that's one of my stories. I don't know if you saw this or not, but the World Surf League, uh, Paul Speaker and Graham Stapleberg and the WSL, has applied for a permit for the Big Wave World Tour event next year at Mavericks, which is in direct conflict with the organizers of the Titans of Mavericks contest, and they are certainly set to do battle here. This has been an ongoing situation between the WSL and and the Titans of Mavericks, who are in possession of the permit now. Um, and it goes way back to, I guess, you know, a, you know, again, you and I are assuming a lot here, but I, th- I think we can read between the lines and know that when Speaker took over pro surfing he went to the Mavericks guys and went, hey, I'm here and this is our event now and bull in a china shop style. And those guys kind of went, no, nah, I don't think so, dude. Yeah. You know, you, you not up here. That's not how you do it, you know? And, yeah. and so um, we're at this head now where, where um, you know, because I think that the WSL saw that there was some turmoil surrounding the Titans event, with some of the photographers that aren't happy and some of the nonprofits that feel left out of the picture and the fact that, you know, basically there's, like I said, there's been some turmoil. The WSL guys probably went, you know what? We should go in there and apply for a permit. Because we be can our sh- time. And, yeah, we can show the the harbor people, the people that issue that permit, that this is what we do for a living. We're professionals at it. We do it around the world. We've been doing it since, they can say, since 70 something. And and we, you know, we'll do it right. And here's our permit. And so they've put in a permit. Now, May 20th is when that Harbor District is going to consider this permit application. So that's when all eyes are really focusing on this. I'm sure that the Titans of Mavericks people, and that includes Jeff Clark. Right. And a lot of the surfers. I uh, think
1: Flea is one of the members.
2: They're sort of on that side of the equation. And you've got the WSL, Paul Speaker, Peter Mel, and Graham Stapleberg on this side of the equation and all the guys on the big wave world tour. And certainly there's guys that are stuck in the middle. I mean, you could even say Peter Mell sort of stuck in the middle and there's guys that surf on the big wave world tour that want to be in the Mavericks event that are sort of stuck in the middle. So certainly very interesting from you, for you and I, for mm-hmm. our sake to discuss yeah. the politics that's taking place here. And, and I guess my question to you is who's going to win on May 20th. How, how do you see this
1: playing out? Well, Jeff Clark said that they've got the permit for another year, right? It doesn't
2: matter because, from my understanding, the the harbor people can pull the permit whenever they want. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's why there there was another request for permit put in.
1: Okay. Well, then why would they issue a three year permit if they can pull it at any time? Well, I think that's
2: just status. That's standard for for any situation. You know, the guy that issue the the uh, authority that issues the permit has the ability to go. You know what? You're not doing it. To Got my it. satisfaction. Got it. You know, you said you do this, you didn't do this, you know, blah, 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 whatever reason they always have the power to pull it. There's, yeah. there's never this like non-binding event permit.
1: Yeah. Well, let me read a quote from Jeff Clark before I give my opinion. He says, I'm always weary of an organization that wants to come in and make this just one stop among many obscure events. This is the best big wave in the world. And we have a standalone event on a, on, and we have the best standalone event on the planet. We found that our vision for Mavericks and their vision for Mavericks is very different. So I think that's kind of interesting. I don't know. I think that anybody around the world who hosts a big wave would probably feel the exact same way that Jeff feels. The guys at Dungeons feel that they have the best big wave event in the world, you know, and they don't want to. But I, I mean, I don't know how much. I don't know.
2: I don't either, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of like, I'm sort of, part of me actually wants the Titans of Mavericks guys to win out because it would just be neat from a fan's perspective to have a different flavor, you know, for a big wave event, you know, like, um, and, and we really haven't seen what these Titans of Mavericks guys can do, you know, we haven't really, yeah, had a chance yet.
1: Well, I think you and I have discussed just as fans our struggle with watching the Big Wave World Tour events and processing it. And so Jeff Clark probably feels that way too as a fan watching those events and is just thinking, look, I don't want our event to be treated the same way. Like I think we can showcase it better if we do it on our own, you know? So Well for I don't sure know.
2: if the WSL <clears throat> takes it over because of the rifts that have been created, they're gonna they're going to push Jeff Clark aside. and Jeff Clark will no longer be associated with Mavericks right. in this realm of competition, yeah. which is unfortunate right. because it's really his story. And it would be another case of, you know, this big entity coming in and just basically doing it wrong. Cause sure. you can't really have a Mavericks event without on some level touching on Jeff Clark, but you know, so it's going to be fascinating. I'm looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. Um, and, and you know, I don't know. I'm, I don't like, know I'm like you, I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. We know what there's, it's yet to be revealed how I feel about this, but, um, but again, part of me would, I'm okay with the Titans of Mavericks thing running just because it's different and maybe they can do yeah. it better. You know, who
1: knows? Well, I'm okay with either of them running, I'd be happy with either of them. I just don't know which would be the better choice. And I think it's easy for any of us to look at the WSL or whomever doing what they're doing and think, Oh, here's how you could do it better. And then claim that you could probably do it better, but to actually execute it better is an entirely different proposition. (laughs) And I know I've
2: never said that I could execute it. I'm (laughs) just saying this is the way you should execute it.
1: I'm just the idea guy. Yeah. I'm a big picture guy. Uh, Don't ask me to drill down. So I think that Jeff Clark's obviously helped run successful events out there. He's definitely not a first timer, but, um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. It's easier said than done, I suppose. Um, this is a good opportunity to discuss what happened in Chile too. Do you have thoughts on that? There was a basically the Chilean big wave event took place just after we recorded our last episode. Makua Kai Rothman won and won the big wave world title, so congratulations to Makua. But basically, the WSL decided not to run a live stream of the event, and there was local camera crew down there who had the ability to do so and were doing it they were transmitting a live feed and the WSL basically shut them down via local authorities and there's a bit of a kerfuffle just because it's like hey this is public beach how can you prevent us from filming this public event and the WSL's position essentially is Look, we're funding this entire thing, and we have media rights to it, and sponsors that expect to be presented in a certain way. We can't leave that in your hands outside of our control. Um, but the local authorities did win, uh, did successfully stop that transmission for that event. So,
2: yeah, I was, you know, it's this is one of those classic cases where. Um, you know the WSL. I, I totally understand where the WSL is coming totally. from. Like I get everything that you just said. I get it. Like they do. They have a responsibility to to do it right, and and you know, and if they can't do it right, then you know maybe they shouldn't do it at all. I guess that was my problem with it from a fan's perspective. And the piece that was written in um, online on Magic Magic Seaweed. Seaweed, that guy kind of nailed it. I forget his name, but he did a really good job of writing basically the feelings of the way we all feel. Like the WSL is like hey, there's a big bomb coming, it's on, you know, sending out press releases about it. Well, quite frankly, David and Scott and the rest of the surf fandom expect a production. Mm-hmm. And you can't send out information about it and get us all fired up and and basically kind of lather us and then, you know, not rinse us off. Yeah. And um, that's the problem. You know, it'd be one thing if they just went, you know what, there's a big swell, there's no way we're going to be able to produce it or pr- do a broadcast We'll put together a little highlights package at the end. Don't worry, we're working on getting our act together so that one day we'll be able to produce it. You know, but it was kind of like this big fluff ball, and in the end, it was it was kind of, you know, it just. But you know, I gotta admit, I've also been in front of this microphone and said, you know, it would be great as if they as if they boiled this whole thing down to just the highlight package, and that way I don't have to sit through all the heavy lulls, and I can just see the good stuff. Yeah. Which they did, right? They didn't do a very good job of that. Yeah, they only good. had one angle. It was crappy. It was it was if it if, was just underwhelming. Yeah. I guess.
1: So if you're going to do that, you
2: if you're going to take that
1: approach, then yes, you need the multiple angles. You need to have added value. Because Massive
2: post production.
1: What happens is, uh, I mean, I've seen this happen with free surfing, for example, um, where Red Bull invests a bunch of money to send. This A-plus team of surfers on this luxury yacht to some spot in Indo, right? It just happens that there's another crew of guys there who have their own buddy who's filming, and he starts filming clips of Taj Burrow and Julian Wilson. Now Red Bull's thinking, crap, we can't let those guys go first to market with this footage. You know, what do you do in this scenario? And the reality is, You have to assume that those guys don't have as good of camera equipment as you. They don't, certainly don't have as big of an audience as you. So you can go over there and slap them on the wrist and threaten them with a lawsuit and try to get them to not publish the stuff. But realistically, those guys over there, they're not really going to do what you're going to do with the footage. Have faith in your own quality of product, in your own packaging, in your own marketing ability that yeah, maybe they'll get a few eyeballs on theirs and good for them, but you really have something of value that you're creating too that people want to see. Who cares if it's the same exact full rotation 360 air and they brought it to market first? You're putting it together in a slicker package that's going to market your brand and that has value too, you know? I think that's kind of the, the tact to take.
2: So you're suggesting that l- let Joe Blow on the Beach do a live broadcast, live stream, and understand that you're going to be smoother and slicker and better
1: i i kind of do i know that that could come back to bite me as well because if joe blow actually gets like proper investment buys a bunch of cameras puts some boats in the channel that becomes much more of a conflict and i i sent
2: out um sort of a query to a bunch of lawyer friends of mine about this you know like does the w can the wsl actually come in and shut down somebody that's doing a live stream just from his phone um, do they have the ability to do, you know, do they have the right in I a guess. public
1: arena? But, yeah. That's the yeah. key. And the, this that's is the, the Pacific thing. ocean, right?
2: You know, like the NFL, why can't
1: I, it's not like you're in a stadium. Yeah, exactly.
2: You know, you're and, and, um, and, and, oh, by the way, the permit, a lot of these things, the permit only goes to the high, you know, the mean high tide line, like out in the water. That's why guys, I think legally could paddle out and surf at lowers or paddle out and surf in an event. and, and, do it without repercussion. I think. Yeah, I'm not I don't know. sure. I don't know just, People that. just don't want to be shamed, so they don't do it. But I don't know about. Well, that I've either. seen
1: people fined in California for serving in the contest zone.
2: Uh, may, so maybe, maybe I, I you know, again, yeah. I, I'm not well, sure. Well, it's
1: probably different in California than it is in. Oh, Chile, for sure, anyways, that's the know? other.
2: That's the other thing is that now we're talking international yeah. law. Where does the WSL, um, you know, do, do they? Do they fly under the banner of Chilean law when they're in Chile? You know, how does it yeah. all work? And it, no, I don't think anyone really knows. Certainly, all the lawyers that I queried basically said, "You know, um, it's gray area. It's, it's a very it's a gray area." They all referred to sort of you know the United States. What happens in the United States? I like, can't. I go to the U.S. Open, park on top of the Huntington Beach Pier, and live stream. And the feeling is, is that you can until you start to. What, where, the, where you can get caught is when you're dealing with trademarks. Um, you know, Chloe Andino is a trademark. And, it, and if you're filming, live streaming Chloe Andino and you're announcing it, or you've got like Jeep jerseys on or WSL or Samsung jerseys on, and all of a sudden you're live streaming Samsung's trademark without their approval, well, they can shut you down. Okay. And so that's really where they can get you, is that it's not just like some guy surfing the Pacific Ocean without a jersey on you know, Kelly, Kolohe, all of these pro surfers are, many of them have trademarked themselves, you know, or their brand, right? So that's really where you
1: get in trouble. All of this discussion, and we cover these topics, you know, every other week, we're oftentimes critical of some of the big companies and big brands. But the more we discuss it, I've become more sympathetic with their plight. Like the WSL has a lot of challenges that they face stuff that you would never anticipate at the beginning of the year. You're looking at the map, the, the lineup, your schedule of events. You never anticipate hitting issues like this. And when you do hit them, they're super layered, super expensive to navigate and negotiate. You know, it's, um, it's a complex
2: equation. Well, once again, you know, to be a real sport, you need to have an offense where you score your own points. You need to have a defense trying to keep you from scoring your own points. You cannot wear dress slacks. And and if not, then your so-called physical activity isn't really a sport in the true sense of the
1: word. I know you love that. It might
2: be difficult. It might be an endeavor that's, you know, a, a physical endeavor that's hard to do. Sure. that takes great ability, but it's not a sport in the true sense of the word. And I'm not so sure that surfing's a sport. The more that we, uh, as you say, the more layers we uncover, the more we realize... You know, this is this is a physical act. This is a physical event. That doesn't change
1: a thing, though, for me. I mean, I don't disagree. I with agree. You.
2: I'm just kind of trying to be half, you know, hackneyed here. But yeah, um, I
1: mean, the UFC has faced just as many issues, if not more, you well, know, the, because the, of the brutality. But I guess now
2: that we're getting into the realm of the outside area and public realm, like, yeah. you know, can I go have a climbing contest at Half Dome? And if I can, then if I can pull a permit, and I'm, and then Joe Blow with his family can't video it. Or, you know, like at some point it's like, look, inside of a stadium, I get it. A ballpark, I get it. Soccer field, okay. Cricket pitch, fine. But once you start getting into these outside areas and then you're trying to clamp down and go, no, you know, we bought a permit. And now you're kind of getting into corpo zone where it's it's, this is the public realm. This is taxpayer pay. You know, we own this. You don't own this and you can't rent it for a little while. Or maybe you can, you know, but that's where it gets kind of gray and I get kind of weird with it.
1: Well, me too. And the other, the other feeling I have is just like, look, these guys are attempting to promote what you're doing. This small Chilean crew who's trying to do this live stream, they're fans of big wave surfing. That's why they're there. And they're there to promote the athletes. You might want to look at it under that microscope. Where and, it's and oh, like, by
2: the way, how come they could pull it off and you couldn't?
1: That's a good point. You know,
2: that's another thing that the guy in Magic Seaweed wrote, you know?
1: Well, maybe they couldn't pull it off to the degree of professionalism that the WSL wants. Well, then
2: maybe they shouldn't do an event at all.
1: Nah, that's a whole different... That's now a different conversation, I think, you know? Because we've argued that they should do an event. I mean, if you're
2: Samsung, you're going, dude, we're paying for this... Or whoever... Who sponsors the Big Wave World Tour? Is it Samsung? Yeah. Whoever it is, right? They're going, dude how did these little Chilean guys pull it off? And you couldn't you Right, know, like what's up.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, the Chilean guys are on the ground already. That's where they live and work. Again, you know? I don't care. Like yeah. then
2: don't hold your event. If you can't pull off a live event, then right. don't hold an event, you right. know, or, or, you know, and again, I'm assuming a lot, maybe up front, the, the sponsors of the big wave world tour know that, Hey, not all events we're going to be able to pull off from a live broadcast situation. Right. We may do post edit and, you know, I, I but think- again, the post edit, the, what they put out there wasn't the greatest Mm -hmm. There, there was a lot of like what was that what just happened
1: right you know yeah, interesting. Um, like, I, we certainly don't have all the answers. We're just kind of discussing it as these things unfold. Have you been getting emails? Because you're doing
2: a lot of caveat no, no, no.
1: backstepping, I've noticed today. I, I actually haven't, but I do feel you that way. You anticipate getting emails. I, I don't, but I do feel that way, where yeah. it's just kind of like I now realize all the complexities that oh, for sure. I didn't realize before. For sure. You know? For sure, uh, I'm getting older, Scott. You know what? The thing Older, is, more responsible. I think as
2: we go through these you know, these first two years of the WSL... And you sort of just touched on it. There's just growing pains that they're, and and a lot of them they're not handling correctly, but that's why it's a pain. You know, if they handled it correctly, maybe it wouldn't be a growing pain. Yeah. Uh, But they just, they just seem to have, you know, again, it's a tough gig. They got gone, but they just seem to have some difficulty in sort of, you know, lining up their PR with what they're, you know, with what they're actually producing with what they're presenting and, you know,
1: well, it is what it is. One final note in regard to big wave stuff: uh, Rusty Long, big wave world or big wave surfer, just released a new book. It's called "The Finest Line: The Global Pursuit of Big Wave Surfing," and I uh, did not read it. It's a coffee table book. Surfline did a little um, article on it, and they had nothing but good things to say. But if anybody's interested in that, Rusty Long's the yeah. And you know, line.
2: speaking of Rusty Long and books, I'm actually almost finished. Probably. 15 or 20 pages left of reading Chris Dixon's book called the ghost wave about the Cortez bank expedition. I
1: know you're shaking your head. It took me a while, right? No, I'm not shaking my head. I I did great book. book.
2: Oh, you should read it. It was fascinating. It still is. And, and, and I got, I love all the history of it. You know, the stuff before we were even around before the surfers were even a part of it, you know, the stuff in, in, in the early days. Um, But, and, and so I say that because I was kind of dreading getting to the part where they actually go out and like I was, I kind of had um, a little bit of an attitude. Like what can Chris really tell me that I don't already know, okay. you know? And of course I was incredibly ignorant and naive because I really enjoyed the part when they did get to Foo at Mavericks and, um, and the de Santos missions and then getting out to Cortez and all the stuff with Larry flame Moore and just the, all of that stuff. And I sort of lived it. I mean, I worked at Surfer Magazine during a lot of that stuff. And it's one of those things that it's almost like I was so involved in it that it almost went over my head right. and to re- go back and revisit it and, and read Chris's book on it. And I really learned a lot about Mike Parsons and Greg Long and these guys. And it was in Brad Girl. It was a really fascinating read and continues to. I highly recommend it. What's go- the name Ghost of it? Ghost Wave.
1: How, long, how old is the book?
2: Um, it's probably about four years old. Okay. Something like that. I never
1: came across that. Yeah. Interesting.
2: The Story of the Cortez Bank. Fascinating book. Great. Awesome.
1: Book. Awesome. Um, since we're touching on WSL, it's worth mentioning that the Rio Pro started today. The Oi, Rio Pro. Oi, <laughs> telecommunications company.
2: By the way, WSL signed up a couple of new guys. They got Jeep, right? Mm-hmm. So they, Jeep's a global presenting sponsor, I believe. Yep. Is that one of your stories? Nope. And then Oi, as a... Um, just a a sponsor for this particular event. So hats off to the sales team
1: over there at the WSL for getting it done. So uh, day one was a lay day, but today is day two and it's the first day of competition. Um, It takes place at an unfavorable time for us here on the West coast. I think it starts at like 2 AM. I woke up at six and watched a few heats before we came here. Um, Every Brazilian, I think other than Miguel Pupo won their heat. So Brazilian storm in full effect. And Kelly Slater had the highest heat total of the round. Uh, he got absolutely shacked with like a pair of nines. How so, come nobody
2: else did that? Because it's Kelly, dude. I know. Exactly my point. You almost get the feeling that it's like he just goes, look,
1: come on. It's going to be crappy
2: in two hours. Let me show you how it's done. Boom, boom. I'm out here. I'm going golfing.
1: Yeah. Call cool.
2: me when my next heat. I, might or my, I may or may not make it.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to argue. Look, doesn't he
2: show, didn't he show you, because I saw, didn't he show you that He's the best surfer in the world. Of course. How come Gabe Medina isn't doing that? Or well, who's number one right now? Uh, Felipe. Felipe. How
1: come no Felipe? no, no. Adriano? Adriano, Adriano? How come
2: Adriano is not doing that? You know, like well, Adriano won his heat. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm saying go out there and like look like Tom Kernan where he just knows how to find the right waves, get insanely deeply shacked, spit out. I mean, let's talk. He sort of had
1: that magical vibe this morning. He did for sure. My counterpoint to you is we'll talk by the end of the event. Slater, (laughs) in Margaret, Slater did it once. He got one wave that was magical. In In past years, Slater would do it throughout the event, and he'd peak in the final, and that's how he wins. Now we're seeing these moments of brilliance occasionally, but they're not in the final because he doesn't make it that far. He's lucky to make it to the quarters, which he hasn't, I don't think, this year. So, you know, it's like, yes, there's glimpses of the old Kelly, but it's not the old Kelly, dude. I, I love to see it, and I, want, I love Kelly. Today looked like
2: he knew what he was doing above and beyond everybody else in the competition. Like I said, we'll, all we'll talk 30, by the end of the event. Against all 32 other guys that got to serve today. Let's talk at the end of the event. He he was
1: clearly the number one. A couple of interesting points. Um, Dave Stansfield is in the booth. I noticed that. that what was, the heck was that? You know, you got you got to have uh Backup. Ronnie Blakey wasn't there. That's probably why.
2: But I bet he, Ronnie's like, "I'm off.
1: I'm not going to Brazil. Find somebody." And they're like, "Call Dave." I guess so. Um, and they kind of mixed up the commentary team. So Dave Stansfield was with, I think Joe Turpel, who Potter was normally with. Potter's still there, though. Two stats
2: play-by-play guys, guys and not a color guy
1: in the, on the same. I think. Team. I think. So that's, I don't know. I'll have to double check. Yeah. Um, so who that's else interesting. Is a, Ross Williams Strider was back, so that's always how fun. are Ross and Strider? Uh, well, Strider's at the desk and with like Pete Mel, I think. How's that? I forget who Ross is partnered with now that I'm trying to see. I don't know. I only caught a couple heats and I was trying to get ready for my morning, so I, I'm mm-hmm. not the expert at the moment. It's totally. only round one still. But um, Round one's all you need to see. It's Rio and Kelly got barreled and blew the
2: f- blew the doors on the field. So well,
1: the waves look kind of good, dude.
2: <laughs> Earlier they did. They did. Yeah, the It's low shocked. and the wind's onshore. It looks yeah. like hell right now.
1: Couple of and isn't
2: um, isn't the, isn't the pollution running out from the favelas and and causing a big scene what there? What was like,
1: that story? I actually have it here. I thought you tweeted that the event got canceled.
2: No, let me see if I have it here.
1: Because then I looked, I got freaked out, and then I looked into it, and it was still going to run, but. Well, it was ABC story. Here it is: the World Surf League starting the Oi
2: Rio Pro today, the fourth stop on the Samsung Galaxy Championship Tour. Organizers and surfers are more worried than ever about water pollution in the Barra de Tijuca, which is the event's main venue. According to government officials, high levels of sewage have been detected in the water in and around Barra for weeks. They tested the water twenty-nine times, and twenty-one of those times came back with measurements of pollution and deemed the water inappropriate for swimming and surfing. Based on our observations, and I quote, and government analysis, the water is clearly below safety standards. On April 27th, which is about, what, two weeks ago, the results came in for the Conrado Beach, which was initially the event's backup venue. And it was considered too dirty in all 29 tests, never passed one test. Wow. So last week, Event organizers decided to scrap that event altogether as a backup due to the potential risk involved. So, you know, there's some issues involving uh, the water quality there.
1: Sounds like the water quality in my beloved Huntington Beach. Why, is it bad? Yeah, it's awful, dude. Just the fact that you have
2: beloved and Huntington Beach in the same phrase (laughs) makes me sort of chuckle.
1: Uh, Looking down from your podium in in, uh, San Diego, huh? Uh, From your pedestal. Sorry. Um, So a couple of other things in relation to WSL. There was a few QS events. One at Trestles that was really fun to watch. I thought the surfing was incredible. Uh, Felipe Toledo over Jeremy Flores in that event. And then the Soccerama event down in Brazil. uh, Alex Ribeiro over Jeremy Flores. So Jeremy Flores making a couple finals in a row. Trying to back up his ratings position on the CT. Jeremy Flores looked good today. Yeah, well... Wow, he was not looking so good last year. He almost didn't re-qualify. Well, I know. That's what I mean. He's yeah. sort of
0: on
2: a comeback thing yeah, here. I mean, definitely, you know, he, he sort of found his way cause you and I had written him off big time. Anybody that put him on their fantasy team was not paying attention. Right. And now
1: he, he's on, he's kind of found himself. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. And watching him at lowers, he looked so old school compared to a lot of the, I don't know, highlight reels, you know, the guys doing massive airs and Felipe and stuff but um, he was undeniably ripping like his old school style of his approach still is just unbelievable. Like you can't, you cannot deny it. I'm
2: not sure what it was last year. I think you and I touched on his surfboards just did not seem to be working. Maybe he got on some new boards. Maybe he needed, um, wasn't there that one, um, that one Australian journalist surf journalist sort of wrote him off and he called him out. That's
1: right. On the webcast. Yeah. On the
2: webcast. it just seemed like he needed some sort of
1: mental tune up and maybe he got that. I yeah. don't know. Um, I saw a uh, fantasy surfer, by the way, uh, everybody got their wage. Well, not everybody, but people got their wagers. Did I get in my wager? In? No, huh. you're out of the Rio you're event. Dude. <laughs> I can't send you reminders, dude. I got like all sorts of other stuff wow. going on. So anyways, there's, I'm going to post all the, uh, People who are—I cannot in. believe I'm not because my team's killing it. I got
2: all Brazilians. I'm doing so good. I can't
1: yeah. believe you didn't just
2: like. I just need to. I need to send you for the year because I'm never going to remember. Whatever you want to do, man. And all I, I know you're is you're afraid I got, of me getting involved. That's what this is. I can tell. Yeah, you're that's sitting, sitting in you 150th send, position. That's why you didn't. No, but each event you start at scratch.
1: Yeah, but right. If I, it, I was, was going to win the performance Rio. performance is dictated by past performance. I'm not worried. it Never at is. All. It never is. it Always is. No, that's not true. it Always is. Okay, so
2: if I win this event, you'll pay me based on what you just said that there's no way I'll win. You're willing to wager against what you just said.
1: So you want to double down then? What? Do you, so if you lose, then what do you pay? I pay the ten bucks. Double, dude. Double. So, so I pay
2: double to maybe win.
1: What? Is everyone else going to be I'll, okay with that? No, just group? this is between you and me. I'll give you ten bucks if you beat me in this one. You give me twenty if you if I beat you. No, no, that's t- yeah, no no, that's- <laughs> no, no, we just got to man up. You just got to man up and know
2: your team's good enough to win ten bucks from me.
1: That's why I bet the ten dollars into the
2: wager. You, you give, yeah, but I can't go into that now because you didn't remind fault me. Is that? That's your fault for not reminding me. Please, dude. Please. Okay, let Please. it be known that ca- that you're afraid to bet me right now for ten bucks. Let it be known. I'm let doing be known.
1: All the heavy lifting. I'm talking about. And you while I'm right doing now, the heavy lifting, you come over and kick me in the knee. <laughs> no, no, no. And while I'm on my knee trying to get up, you're like, "Hey, by the way, carry this also." Mano- that's what happened
2: Mono y mono.
1: nope
2: okay nope okay kevin not what, interested in playing kevin your is, reindeer games he's officially pussing out right who's now. kevin or she's.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know my
2: name no. dude.
1: wow dude i think you do need more sleep I by do. the way um, okay, you're
2: officially being lame
1: let's let the <laughs> listeners decide actually let's let the, the listeners, listeners
2: already have decided exactly they yeah, know they you're send wrong. me
1: are emails all the time deciding in tweets. Oh my God! Really? What are they saying? I don't, I don't want to blow um, your ego, dude. My ego's uh, nil, null, and void. Do you want a, a fun story? Yes. Dane Reynolds. Oh we, yeah. We broke the story that Dane was pregnant. I saw that. Back. That's cool. Congrats to Dane Reynolds and Courtney for welp- welcoming baby Sammy. Sam Reynolds. Sam
2: Reynolds. That was a cool Instagram he sent out.
1: Yeah, I thought it was nice. I did too. Um, congratulations yes indeed maybe
2: Sam will be the wake up call that Dane needs we've been hoping right
1: mm-hmm. Get we talk together we hoped that he was nine months ago mm-hmm. um, but all good congratulations uh, one, one of the best things I've seen in a long time can I ask you a quick question about sure. Dan Reynolds sure do you think that if he lost all his
2: sponsorship like he just wasn't marketable like Quicksilver just went nope and everyone else is kind of like whatever and, and, and he needed a job do you think he would become a pro surfer in the competitive sense of the word? No,
1: I don't. What would he do? Well, the guy's been making four million bucks a year for the last however many. Oh, years. so he's just going to kick back. I would hope that, right. that that money isn't spent. It doesn't look like it is spent based right. on his lifestyle. So, I think he's, he's happy living in Santa Barbara. The guy's liked anonymity. Yeah. Even when the spotlight was shined on him. Yeah. So I think he would be more than happy just to surf Rincon quietly and yeah. Silver Strand and whatever. Yeah, um, you're right. And I don't think we'd really see much from him again. I mean, look at Santa Barbara mentality is that way anyways. Yeah. You know, look at Tom Curran, Bobby Martinez. Yep. And and, uh, and I'm, I think it's good on him, you know? Yeah. All good, man. Yeah. Uh, raise baby Sammy in Quiet.
0: Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
1: Um, one of the best things that I've seen in a long time on StabMag.com features called Stab in the Dark. You have any idea what I'm talking about? This no. thing, This thing fits in so nicely with the boardroom show and your kind of whole thing. They had Julian Wilson do a blind board test. They had 11 shapers... Shape, oh, yeah. Shape sh- a uh, shortboard. I did see this. For yes. an undisclosed WCT top, le- top 10 level surfer. They told these 11 shapers hey, submit a shortboard in the 6 0 range. Here's the surfer's specs. Here's his weight. Here's his height. Here's his whatever. Um, he's going to test your board in West Oz. We're going to document the entire thing. Don't put any identifying characters on your surfboard. We want it to be a blind test. We'll get all the boards to him. And we'll document the thing, and he'll pick a winner, basically. So um, the Shapers, well, I'll just kind of give—they they put it out in a uh, video format. I think it was like a 15-minute video or something. Released it on Stab last week. The Shapers, in order of how they ranked, were number one, DHD. Wow. Number two, Chili. Mm-hmm. Number three, Mayhem. Then it went JS, Panda, Sharp Eye, Channel Islands, Dahlberg, Simon Anderson, Robo, John Robertson and Stamps rounding out number wow. 11 or number 10 I think. And then Pizella was invited but he didn't get his board there in time, so he's the 11th.
2: I just ordered a new uh
1: Firewire construction. No, no, just... just to
2: just I just called him up and we just started rapping and
1: what'd you order like a short I ordered board?
2: a pies a 511 pies yeah shortboard.
1: trying to rip like john john or something no
2: i told him i was i was afraid i'm like dude i'm i need some volume yeah. you know i need some foam right. help me out here you know yeah. like i'm not john john that was my that was my main concern it was yeah. like do not you know give me michelle barez's dimensions
1: something <laughs> like that you know i need I, i'm i you know yeah so you just so eat. we'll see awesome yeah. Um, well, this... I thought that... This, what do you think of this concept, by the way? I thought? think
2: it's cool. I think it's great. I do want to say that, you know, the guy that got 10th and 9th and 8th, those are great shapers and great boards too. Like, I don't think that that means that they didn't make a great board. I fully agree. It just means that, you know, the, the one that Julian at the time enjoyed and the waves that he wrote it in happened to be... I'm, yeah. I'm sure that all those boards looked really similar. I bet right. it was hard to pick a few of them apart. Yeah. You know? Um, well, also
1: developing that relationship takes time i mean to shape does
2: julian ride dhds or who does Ju- julian rides mayhems doesn't he
1: he does not have a board sponsor he but he's just- ridden a lot of js's over the years okay. he's ridden a lot of mayhems over the years right. i don't know about dhd i don't think i've seen him ride many dhds right. um, but one of the questions that julian julian had on the questionnaire um, was whose board do you think this is
2: that's so cool what did he just say just
1: based on the contours and everything He was right on a lot of them. Really? Like, yeah, he was actually pretty impressive. Yeah. Um,
2: This feels like a DHD. This feels like a chili. Yeah. Who's Robo? Is he an Aussie?
1: No, John Robertson, San Clemente surfer. Oh, I don't even know. Yeah, he... um,
2: Robo surfboards?
1: Yeah, R-O-B-O. He rode for lost back in the day like he was a really rad i really liked his surfing a lot mm-hmm. then he was riding coals for a mm-hmm. while after that and then he he's started shaping his now. own board but he's a new shaper like he hasn't really been doing it that long i think yeah, that's he was probably kind why of i ringer. haven't
2: seen his
1: yeah just a garage shaper but um the producer of this damien Farrenfort, um he i know that he's been riding robos boards a bit so i think he has oh, something to do how... just to like Kind throw of, in a ringer. That's kind of cool, though. I like that they throw in sort of a guy that I do. you wouldn't expect. Totally. Really. I do, too. So this was... The video is super well edited. It's filmed in West Oz. Is it all during the same session? No, it's no. during a week, like one week time span. Uh-huh. They just went, camped out in West Oz, got a kind of... Not a wide variety of waves, but basically rippable waves.
2: Rippable, like beach break tubes type thing.
1: We There's a few reef breaks, like big, rampy, windy sections, lefts and rights. One of the boards, the JS, Julian creased on his very first wave. Like he did this massive air, straight air, and like landed right in the lip, and it just like buckled the board. He's so, like, this must be one of Jason's boards. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he said he liked that board. That board still actually placed fourth, shockingly. But he said After he one wave. But he got a feel for it. He's like the board felt right. You know, like he could. That's how astute Julian Wilson is, where he just gets a feel for it and uh, he liked it. I, so. I, I've I've had some J. I had one
2: JS that Jason made for me, and it was insane. I really liked. it Was it? it?
1: Yeah. Hmm. Well, the other thing about this is Julian freaking rips, dude. Yeah. I mean ah on un- he served so well in this thing it was incredible um i have a uh ex or something to share though like i've done blind tasting with wine and on saturday i got together with some friends and we we do an event every once in a while and it was a blind tasting event and it made me kind of realize some of the flaws in the process and it made me think about this stab event um in the, the ability of Julian to be able to identify those boards, you know, and be able to pick what they are just based off the contours and stuff, it's not really actually blind. Like on Saturday, this guy brings a bottle of wine. There was a theme of the event. And you, because you got to smell it you knew right away or something? Well, that's the goal is that you can do it. But before we got to that point, he, everything's wrapped in brown paper bags, but he left the, the foil capsule on it. Uh, so from across the room, I noticed the color is a red, but it's a certain type of red. And the theme of the event was Merlot. So now I'm already processing like which Merlot producers have that dark red foil capsule, you know. And then once you smell it and you realize, okay, this is domestic, well then. But isn't isn't
2: smelling it part of like, that's kind of like riding the board, smelling the wine, right? It is. part of It it? is.
1: But now that I have this other information, all I need to do is get one sniff and realize this is domestic to realize Duckhorn has that color capsule. Okay. If I smelled it and thought. So you could have picked
2: Duckhorn without tasting it.
1: Yes. Or had a pretty damn good guess. Yes. The bottle shape, wide shoulders, the dark red capsule, and now one sniff just confirms what I was already thinking based on the visuals, you know? So it's like if I didn't see that capsule, I might have been thinking South America. I might have been thinking Bordeaux or something else. But it's like because I had the visual cues, now I'm already primed.
2: Can he do it without saying Merlot? Can he just like go reds? Or we, no that's what he did do.
1: He said Well, bre- we no or was we, it do, a Merlot theme? we do a different theme oh, each so time. Oh, so that makes it fun to have a theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but my point is just like I I read a comment actually in the comment section. Somebody said, "Hey, the word on the street is that when Stab received all these boards, they actually kind of mislabeled them." Shut up. I I mean it's a comment that's- section, so it could be nothing. But that's a possibility. I yeah. could easily because I've done these wine things before, I could easily see that happening. Yeah the one person who's assigned to do the labeling, all they got to do is do it slightly wrong yeah. and it's a hundred percent wrong. You know what I yeah. mean? So, um, it doesn't really negate the viewer experience still. Like it's still a really interesting thing to watch, but it does make you, I don't know. Do you think they'll do it again? Cause I think they should. I think it's, a I, neat, think they should. I think it's a neat concept. I would love to see it again. I think that's what I love about stab though, is they, they come up with these kind of outside of the box things and their execution is pretty spot on. Usual That's something that we
2: should probably try to do for the uh, boardroom.
1: Well, that's – I thought of you because you do – I mean the the icons of foam thing is a shaping competition without any indicators on the finished board to identify who the shaper was and the judges pick it blindly. So it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Yeah. But I mean if you can get Julian Wilson on board to ride the boards that you finish shaping, then that would be even better. Uh, Yeah, we'd probably get whoever, you know, Rob or – I'll ride him. Yeah. You know, if you we'll want get, want to we'll attach get, my name to it, you know, I we'll got you a sup. Sweet, <laughs> <laughs> you're the sup writer, dude. Proud of it.
2: Have you ever seen that clip? Um, Something is wrong here. No, <laughs> it's a YouTube clip called "Something Is Wrong no. Here." <clears throat> what is it? It's this thing I created. It's oh, a, you did it. Yeah, I did it. Oh, it's stabbing and dodging. It's got Laird and Oprah talking. It's like one of those cartoon animation things, and you voice in the. You write in the commentary. And,
1: oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When that was hip for like 30 seconds. Right. I was involved. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You got to check it out. You had some time on your hands yeah. one week. Uh, awesome. What else, dude? Randy Rarick
2: is retiring. Professional Surfing's co-founder, the Vans Triple Crown of Surfing Executive Director, and global surfing icon, Randy Rarick. Has announced his retirement, and he did so at the Hawaii Sports Hall of Fame induction ceremony, where Randy and Sonny Garcia were both inducted into, uh, again, the Hawaii Sports Hall of Fame. So Rarick, of course, a pioneer um, involved in pro surfing since the 70s, and before then, um, you know, a shop rat, a grom uh, at the finer... Uh, surfboard factories in Honolulu in the sixties and stuff. And just a guy that's been around surfing and surf travel and surf professionalism for probably 40 or 50 years now. And so, um, I congratulate Randy and Sonny Garcia as well. And both of those guys, well, not Sonny, but Randy will be at, uh, the boardroom this weekend. Mm. So come by and say, hi, meet Randy Rarick and, uh, shake his hand. He's a super nice guy. Very personable. Good, good guy.
1: Maybe I wasn't listening, but what is Randy retiring from? Because I feel from like From the Triple
2: Crown, from running the okay. Triple Crown. He's handing it off to Jody Wilmot. And basically the WSL there's it was one of those other it's actually a situation where I think the WSL did it right. But you know, obviously the WSL wants to own Hawaii and own those events. Well, Randy owns those events. So the Triple Crown belongs to Randy. So Randy I'm assuming sold the, the the Triple Crown to the WSL and in so doing there was a smooth transition of you know, this is going to be who's in place now to run things in Hawaii for us. And it's Jody and Marty Thomas and some other people, whoever the team is that is yeah. now WSL Hawaii the sure. regional branch.
1: Cause I can't imagine Randy just sitting on the golf course, sipping my ties. Like he's still be the golf be working. Course. Yeah, no, he, he's a, he's a well, worker. He's,
2: he and I are doing the vintage surf auction together. Right. And, um, And he'll,
1: but he's he's involved in a lot of different things. Yeah, but he'll also
2: have he does a lot of surf trips. I mean, he'll he'll he's still like a world traveler, and he goes to places that not your average person goes to. Like where? Like India, you know? He'll he'll explore like places that you and I might say are kind of gross, sure, or just not. He still has the adventure part in it, you know. Where Mm -hmm. I'm sort of soft, like I'm like, where's the you know warm warm
1: water? Where's the rips Carlton in
2: a really good wave, you know? And a golf course where he's more like, you know, I'll go camp out somewhere and
1: I maybe, start to, maybe
2: or get malaria or maybe not.
1: I got to tag along with you. If you're staying at the Ritz-Carlton, dude, Well, then we can go surf Salt Creek. I hang a little Ritz-Carlton sign on my tent to let <laughs> people know
2: that they're now entering the Ritz-Carlton.
1: Solid. Um, this is not my must-see moment, but it is definitely worth watching. The recent Tour Notes episode, John John Florence versus Pat O'Connell. Did you watch that? I think I did. What were they doing? It, it just hit last night. Oh. It's John John Florence surfs a heat against Pat O'Connell and Brett Simpson oh, yeah, they, they, runs the commentary yeah. with Joe gonna, Turpel.
2: It's funny because when I saw that I go, you know, Brett, Brett's maybe brett could be a guy that could step into the commentary booth
1: well you watch this episode and, and he'll he say no way the best is he the, no, best? He's the best dude yeah he's so good i had a feeling um, i
2: haven't even seen this but i'm like this is a natural for the commentary booth. yeah sort of a lackluster pro career I had some highlights here in, Hol- yeah. in huntington beach boom he's perfect he's handsome he's like the perfect fit
1: hilarious dude but will he
2: cont- continue the hilarity he, he,
1: well, he's the Tour Notes world champ. I don't know if you knew that. And so he's always hilarious on Tour Notes, and this is just like the best of the best. But by the way, Pat O'Connell is shredding. Dude. Yeah, Pat surfs really like, good. Like, he had a good chance of taking out John John. In this well, that's season. my point,
2: is that there's a lot of really good surfers. That's yeah. like, where's Matt Banting? You know What happened to Carlos Muniz, by the way? Oh, he was just it... made the
1: quarterfinals at Sacorama? Or maybe was, the semi. I thought he was supposed to be on the CT this year. I didn't say this year. Oh. I said he's going to make this. season. Well, we better got to go check the tapes because I think he said this year. Well, you should see the huge air reverse that he did. Like at I said, Soccer Pat
2: O'Connell is doing huge air reverses. That's my point. Pat there's so many guys reverse. that are really good, but there's, there's such a difference between the top five, the top eight, and the rest of the world. Yeah. I would um, even
1: say the top four. BT Dub, Matt Banning won his heat today, by the way, I'm dude. sure he did. So. He's on my team, by the way. Oh, I've got him. so
2: now who's coming back around? Well, to win the 10 bucks that I was going to win from you before you pushed out, I had
1: to put him on my team because I know he's going to do good in a crappy little beach break. <laughs> dude, you are so grasping at straws. It's ridiculous. Just saying. So grasping. Um, but, by the way, Carlos Munez did – do really well. Sock So he could be on event next year. And Matt banning, who was my pick previously. One is heat today? So I
2: have Felipe Jadson. I have that Italo guy.
1: Oh yeah. I uh, got him too. I think he's going to do incredible.
2: Wiggly. Well. Kelly, Big. Matt banning
1: and John, John. And my, I must have one other John, John lost, but you really should have put money on this event. Scott. I know, I, it. I know, I'm
2: killing it.
1: That's why I'm chance. saying
2: you're afraid to bet
1: me because you know you're going to go down. My high. money's already I know what, in. I don't want your money.
2: I just decided I'm just going to I'm just going to like wallow in my victory on on this broadcast in two weeks.
1: Here's what's funny. About just be that. prepared. Okay. Here's what's funny about that. You have the same team as me. No, I feel like we've had this conversation 10 times and 10 out of 10, the two weeks rolls around and I go, Hey, by the way, Scott, what happened last time? There's only been two events. There's been three events. We've been doing this show for two years. There's been tons of events. There's been over 20. So anyways, we always find ourselves two weeks later and I go, hey, Scott, can I get a pat on the back? And you're like, oh, yeah, Jay Davies. Oh, that's a roll in blah, blah, blah. blah, blah, blah. I don't know who that guy is anymore. Anyways, tell me when he wins 10 world titles. Moving yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what's going to happen in two weeks. <laughs> I'm going to start creatively <laughs> editing this show to <sighs> splice in this conversation two weeks from now All when right. we run into this scenario again. All right. Anyways, listeners know what's up. I don't need to defend myself. Uh, so um, Duke and Cook, must see moment. Yeah. It? Um, my Duke is Mark Healy. Wow. For the, I
2: know, go ahead, give me grief. No,
0: no, no. That's my Duke on America.
2: Why? For the Puerto Mm -hmm. Bomb and the massive, uh, Dia de Muerta, the day of death at Puerto Escondido and the radical drop. And
1: that's just gnarly shit. Yeah. I talked to Ron Meeks, who shaped that surfboard. Yeah. Um, on the North Shore. So, not for the podcast, but for something else. And, um, yeah, super cool dude. North Shore Shaper, shapes for Dave Wassel also. Um, so yeah, Ron's kind of
2: been Ron's been at the boardroom before. He's had has a, he? Yeah, he's an exhibitor.
1: Cool. He's humble, quiet, like interesting dude. Um, okay, here's my kook. So my duke, of course, Sean Baron Barney. Okay. FYI. My kook is all the people that went to Mexico or Baja in this
2: last swell and had to post up photos on Facebook, Facebook or Instagram, and. Named the spots Like why do you have to Name the spots Mm. Like it's not like I don't care if you name Trestles Mm. But if you go to Baja Like that's sort of like Once you cross the border It's sort of sacred ground Like you should I think you should Respect it a little bit Even if we know the spot Like even if it's that spot That everyone goes to I don't think you need To name the spots Or mainland Mexico Is like that too Yeah There's a spot a, a heavy beach break that everyone knows about. That for years you were you just simply weren't allowed to name it, right. or even take post photos of right. it. And then some gringo guy moved down there and wanted to become a surf star and started just blowing it up. And right. now it's blown up, and he kind of ruined it for everyone that sure. for 30 years wasn't naming it but was going down there and enjoying it. And so those guys are my kooks. Name them. I, I don't even know who they are. Like they're just people. Well, whoever you know who you are, if you if you went down to Baja or mainland Mexico and started naming spots like you don't need to name the spots, like what's the upside? What do you get out of it? Do you get a stroke of your ego? Mm. Is that what you get? Because I guarantee you that spot's going to be more crowded. I mean, maybe it's not, but you're certainly not doing any favors for the crowd factor. It's new social media
1: mentality, man. It's wrong. Showcase everything. It's wrong in the moment. By the way, how many times have I called a duke and you tell me that it has to be an individual person? Where I go, oh, I, it's this group of people. I swear to God, that's so funny because when I wrote
2: this, I, I go, he's going to call me out for that.
1: Well, you just tried to call me out about a bunch of unnecessary things. Now you. All the things I call you out for are necessary, first of all. Necessary. Necessary capital. Necessary. I do actually
2: have Wait. a person here as my kook. I have them or this.
1: You got to name one of your friends who posted a photo. Okay. Name them by name or give me their but, Instagram I don't handle. know if any
2: of my friends
1: named the actual spot, though. I'm just saying, dude, I'm I'm on board. That is a kooky move, and I support your kook. Yeah. However, I'm trying to think of I want name. you to acknowledge that it's okay to condemn an entire group of people as the kook. That's what I want. In this case, and in this case only. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, like I said, dude, you'll never acknowledge me with a pat on the back.
2: No. You know what? Yes. I have many times given you props. Never.
1: Yes, I have. Never. Yes, I have. Let's go to the table. I can remember you even going, wow, you're giving me props right now. That's the great. first time ever was last episode. Anyways, um, I got a kook. Right. I'm going to totally butcher the name. It's a Chinese camera brand. Okay. I think it's Xiaomi Yi Action Camera for knocking off the GoPro. What's wrong with that? Well,. <laughs> Competition's good. Yeah, you recreate somebody else's invention and then produce it in an unregulated sweatshop economy for half the price. That's the problem with it. I'm pissed. (laughs) I'm a GoPro shareholder also. Are you really? (laughs) Yeah. Uh. So, but... I mean this. So the new action camera. I should not even be giving them play. How do you know that it's an exact replica of GoPro? Look at it. It looks like a GoPro. It functions like a GoPro. It's using the same technology as a GoPro, and it's seventy five.
2: What technology is GoPro using that's proprietary? Do they have proprietary technology? Uh, Miniature camera proprietary. Dude, there's been miniature (laughs) cameras around since the CIA. Obviously,
1: but there, it's literally. It looks like a GoPro. It just doesn't have GoPro's slogan or name on it. Yeah. And it's $75. They yeah. just released it. Um, compared to GoPro's, that is you know, pretty know, 130 to $400 range If it's a complete price.
2: knockoff, it's lame. Because there's no way for GoPro and, and people like you, the shareholders, to, to combat it.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I just... I'm against the sweatshop economy just in philosophy and business fundamentals, you know? But... Um, uh, Beach Grid actually posted this story. That's where I got this from. And Are they salty too? Yeah, well, Chaz Smith was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to buy GoPro. And he thinks that he's getting it at a good price, which he's not. But um, I kind of, I, I think you know, another important thing to notate here, I mean, if you are kind of looking at it from an investment standpoint is, yes, other people can recreate the technology. Like, it's not a safe investment. Technology isn't necessarily, but GoPro has almost become a verb. You know, like when it's like, oh, I'm gonna go Xerox this paper. Xerox is a brand, and right. that's the way GoPro has become. Where it's like a guy's gonna go do a backflip on his motorcycle, and they're like, oh, are you gonna GoPro it? You know, it's I've, not. And they I've, could be using a different camera type. There's Ion. Sony makes a camera. I say There's Sony not... Action Cam. I'm gonna go Sony Action Cam it. Are you? You're gonna try to buck the trend? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So it's kind of like GoPro's almost become synonymous with the market, and that's something that Z Yao Yi company cannot do. You know what I mean right. so that's something that's really powerful for GoPro that I think will stand the test of time is that they've really done an incredible job branding, and the technology will come and go, and maybe they'll i don't know be better at it than the other companies, but I think that they've got branding i don't know they've 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 mastered. The modern platform of social media and instantaneous yeah, They're, they're marketing experts.
2: They're like Red Bull. They're, yeah, exactly. GoPro is a marketing expert.
1: It's a marketing brand that happens to use this as their vehicle for cash. You yeah, know? it's gotten to that place. So, but that Chinese company is my kook. All right. um, what's your must-see moment? My must-see moment is <laughs> speaking
2: of GoPro. <laughs> there's this cool footage of Rob Kelly using his GoPro on okay. his camera. And I think he won the GoPro Hero of the Month or something. Yeah, He's in the right. Outer Banks. Have yep. you seen that? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yep. It's I just left. happened to random. Left, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. left. I, I randomed upon it um, when I was perusing the Surfer Magazine message board. And um, it's really cool footage. You know, it kind of has that. Um, who's that kid that went to um, Angola and got that killer footage, that really long left? Who's Good. that Hawaiian? Koa. Koa yeah, Smith. Koa. It's kind of got that Coa Smith vibe, but it's a little bit just more North American friendly. Like just the idea that you can get in your van and go to the Outer Banks and get a beach break peek to yourself with no one around and be pulling into the barrel at sunset. It just looked like fun. It just looked neat and and it was well done. It was short, you know. So that's my musty moment and I'll I'll put it up on the down the line uh, surf talk page.
1: Well, those GoPro barrel videos never get old, dude. I know. I mean, I've seen a ton of them and I just keep watching them. They're so. I know good. they
2: give me the Jones. They're like, I I, I got to go to Puerto
1: Escondido. Well, I jokingly said on this show at one point, it's like I've been barreled more since GoPro came around than I ever had been previously. <laughs> you know? It's like I've been barreled at Chopu now. Yeah. Uh, I know it's not the same, not even near the same, but it it it's reminiscent. It's pretty radical. It's that's pretty for good, sure. dude. Yeah, stirs some of the same emotion. Um, my must see moment. I'm really really psyched on this. To be honest, it's called the Fisherman's Sun it's a movie that Chris Malloy made for Patagonia. It's a 20-minute documentary about Ramon Navarro, the Chilean surfer. This relates to the Chilean big wave event a little bit. Um really compelling story. The full 20 minute video is for free on YouTube, which is crazy to me. Cause this is like high quality entertainment. I'm going to post it on surf I'll tweet it out and all that stuff. Um, but Ramon Navarro, dude, this character is so rad. We've seen him get incredible waves over the past few years. And I knew he's Chilean and I'm like, I didn't really know his backstory. I just thought he's like this hardworking underground charger guy, which he is, but Prior to ever being involved in professional surfing, he's an activist in Chile. They were building this pipeline that threatened the coastline, and he rallied this small fishing village to basically stop big business and government from damaging this beautiful um, coastline that they have there, and this and this really amazing wave, which is Punta Lobo, uh, Lobos. So he successfully saved that prior to any of this stuff, and Chris Malloy goes and kind of retells his story after he does all that Cole Christensen and some other uh, big wave surfers venture down to Chile 20 years ago and they interact with him and they invite him to come back to Hawaii so Ramon maybe like in the early mid 90s or so shows up in Hawaii with two buddies and a hundred dollars in their pocket. Three dudes from Chile land in Hawaii with a hundred dollars. Show up at Cole Christensen's, and they're like, "Hey, man, we're here. They don't have boards. They don't have anything." And Cole's like, uh, "I guess you could stay with me, and I'll try to get you guys jobs and like help you out." But they were really underprepared for uh, for what they were going to experience. But they used their skill set, build mud clay, mud and clay ovens to uh, bake these pupusas or whatever their local food is. And then they go on the beach and sell them. And so then they interview Mark Healy and some other guys. They're like, yeah, I remember him just this dude showing up on the beach with an ice chest, trying to sell these things to people. And I was just like, you know, I was interested in him, but I wasn't about to buy one from him because it's like, where did he cook these things? turns out he was cooking them in a mud clay oven. In the back of Cole Christensen's house. Oh Um, my God. But anyways, he goes on to under kind of Cole's guidance to surf all these big waves. He ends up surfing in the eddy the last time it ran when it was insane. The biggest wave of the event came through. Ramon got it and surfed it unbelievably. Like it was one of those heroic, dramatic things where the whitewash explodes right behind him and goes 40 feet in the air. And you're wondering if he's going to come out and he ends up making it, you know. So, um, a couple of years later during that massive code red swell at red. cloud break. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he ends he, up getting he got the, that sick one. The, got the, the best wave one, of the year yeah. out there, you know, that like was so this death defying. So it's like Ramon Navarro comes out of obscurity in and poverty in Chile. He's the fisherman's son, which is the name of the thing. His dad just, you know, sold fish at the local market basically. So Ramon comes out of that environment earns his stripes on the North shore among the heaviest chargers in the biggest wave event, the Eddie then goes to Cloudbreak, does it again. He's done it multiple times. Humble. Super raddest dude ever, tons of humility. And Chris Malloy nails it in, in his filmmaking. You know, this is like the raddest thing I've seen. So, uh, kind of the, the feather, the, the cherry on the top of this thing is after the credits, they show video, that we talked about, I think last year, Uh, Ramon gets this wave in Chile, this long left gets kind of barreled and falls off his board at the end of the ride, kind of towards the end of the wave and ends up body surfing for 30 or 40 feet down the line without his board. His board ends up getting kicked in the whitewash back to where he's body surfing, slips right underneath him in the prone position, and he stands back up on it.
2: That's so cool. It's
1: insane. Is that the last wave of the movie? After the credits and everything, fade to black and then fade into this last wave. That's so and weird. I re- and we had seen the footage previously, but I had forgotten about how rad it is. It looks right. like a magic trick, dude. That falls like, off his board. That's body surfs. like
2: God's looking down yeah. on you. You know,
1: like he body surfs for ten seconds without his board, and you see it kicking around in the whitewash. And then it just slips right underneath him. He gets back up and rides out of it. It's insane. Sweet. So musty moment of fisherman's son. All right. Well. I'll have to check that out I want to see it Please do
2: um, You know we've got Coming up here right now Is the interview with Ray Bonatau Yes From Entropy Resins yeah. And um, Entropy and Marco Foam Are a big part of the Best in show This year at the boardroom So um, Very interesting interview With Ray And he um, really breaks it down For the layperson What the whole sustainable movement's about What his resins are about Why we should use them and I think it's pretty fascinating. So, um, give a listen. It's coming up right now. And until um, next time, adios.
1: Before you say aloha, yes, sir. Everybody who lives local, come to the boardroom show, Del Mar Fairgrounds this weekend. Ten bucks to get in. Hundred exhibitors, all the icons. Come check it out.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Yes. So, um, listen to Ray, and that's coming up right now. Adios and aloha. <laughs> All right, um, welcome to the show. I'm with uh, Dr. Ray Banatao. Yes, and um, Ray, I've did a little bit of research um, for the listeners out there. Ray is a scientist. He's a, ser- a serial entrepreneur with a passion for creating businesses and products that have a positive impact on society and on the environment. And Ray has over 17 years of techno- technology R and D experience in biochemistry and materials. And Ray, you hold a BA in biochemistry from UC Berkeley, a PhD in computational biology from UC San Francisco. And you were an NSF postdoctoral fellow at the California Nanosystems Institute at UCLA. You must pick up a lot of chicks with a lot because <laughs> that, that is an incredible line of stuff right there. By the way, do you surf with all
0: that uh, education? It, That's it, incredible. It's hard to find time, but uh, try to make it happen.
2: It uh, truly is inspirational that you know that you're so involved. Um, you know, Ray is. Um, let's just get to it. I mean, you're the you're sort of the brain trust, right, along with your brother right, right. of Entropy Resins. And tell Correct. me, when did you start Entropy Resins, and what's Entropy Resins all about?
0: Sure. Uh, so, Entropy Resins is a leader in bio based uh, resin technologies. Uh, we're a formulation company, meaning we put together all sorts of different formulas. For us, the key Things behind entropy resins is that we put out a product that's better for the planet and there's two ways that we measure it one is is it made with better materials that deliver performance and the second is what impact does that have on the environment and for us we measure impact through carbon footprint so we go through a whole quantitative thing that we can get into to analyze what impact do our materials have in the making of it and then when people use it on the environment in terms of carbon footprint. And then where do those materials come from? They could come from bio-based materials. They could not. Um, we've been around for about, ooh, uh, I would say eight or nine years now. Um, and we actually started because we had a passion. Me and my brother had a passion for sports. We grew up skateboarding, snowboarding, and eventually surfing um, and in up in the Bay Area. And uh, we always wanted to have a connection to the things that we grew up doing. We happen to also grow up in Silicon Valley where you're surrounded by technology and innovation every day. And that's kind of like everyone's MO is like, Oh, what, what are you working on? So we went through grad school and all the normal education stuff. But eventually when we all finished, we kind of had an itch to go start something that we always had a passion for. And for us, and the inspiration from this came from our dad who's also an engineer was he recommended, look, if you guys are going to go and do something, start your own idea, do something that has an impact on the industry that you want to work in. And for us, when we started thinking about it, the impact we could make could be on environmental materials for sporting goods and, and now looks like beyond sporting goods. Wow, that's, that's <laughs>
2: it's pretty incredible. Um, tell
0: me a little bit more, if you could,
2: about your parents because to have two sons that are so well educated and so together is pretty powerful and i imagine that your parents were a big part of this and i i'm just you know whenever i see surfers that are like have phds i'm like wow this guy's parents must really have their act together so i don't even know him but i want to congratulate (laughs) him tell me a little bit about your upbringing there in silicon valley i mean did you play baseball i mean
0: sure um it's pretty normal i think comparable to, to any other you know childhood most people have growing up in the u.s in california Parents immigrated um, back in the early 60s to the US from the Philippines, Uh actually. Uh, My dad wanted to become a pilot for Boeing, and my mom was was working in education and and social uh, welfare. And education was paramount to them. Like, they, that was their opportunity to get out of their situation in the Philippines. They looked at the U.S., like most immigrants back then, that there's opportunity in the U.S., right? And that's to go make a life for yourself and make an opportunity for yourself. And they did that. Um, So for them, education was everything. And that's what they instilled in me, my brother, and we have a younger sister who... We all went to. Um, we actually all went to Berkeley together uh, at different times, but we all went through college uh, at Berkeley. And me and my brother happened to be like interested in science and engineering. And my dad, who's an engineer, of course, he's going to push us in that direction. And just you know, it just happened out. Happened to kind of. Fill out that way. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah we, we, just, we just love thinking about hard problems. And I guess that was just the culture we had in our family right. was to, to, to go into science and engineering. And we're lucky because growing up in California, where sun shines most, of, most year, year round, um, you get to be outside a lot. And, yeah, we did the normal team sports stuff. But we also grew up, my biggest inspiration was growing. There's two things. One is our family owned a 79 VW bus. And a camper van. And we used to drive the coast from Mexico to Canada in that growing up. And for me, that was like the best memory of my childhood. And that's kind of my inspiration for working in sustainability and the environment is I have a, an appreciation for what that is. And I want my kids to have that appreciation as well. And I'm working hard to create memories for them to be outside and go camping and be in the water and all that kind of stuff. Um, the second thing is, is we grew up in the time of if you skateboarded, right, this is the time of Pal Peralta and the Bones Brigade. And I i don't know a single kid of my generation, I'm 40 now, who didn't idolize those guys. And for us, that was like a huge adventure was to go out on your skateboard and just go look for animal chin, right? Search for animal chin, just yeah. go out there and just yeah. just be outside. Yeah. And so for us, that's where the passion comes from is going out, exploring on your own, being in the environment. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> cool, and and here we are. Um, you know, your brother knew uh, entropy resins, um, and 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 the like the big resin, I guess, or the big the big um, um, I don't know if product is the right word, but the super sap resin, yeah. right? Like that was sort of groundbreaking, right? right? So maybe uh, understanding that that the listening audience is probably a little smarter than me, and um, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. So for a, a layperson standpoint. Tell, me, tell us about the Super Sap resin. What sets that resin apart from, say, just a poly resin? And obviously, okay. it's it's relatively earth friendly.
0: Okay. So, so I have a tendency to, to get into the weeds here. So, just go ahead and stop me, right. ask me any yeah. questions. Yeah. But um, so, we know we're pretty familiar with surfboards here. We're pre- pretty familiar with the staple materials of a surfboard polyester resin and polyurethane foam. And these are tried and true materials invented back in the 50s they've been around for a long time and they're still the majority material that's out there now keep in mind that these materials were engineered back then and that that chemistry hasn't fundamentally changed and you know there's a culture behind those materials now i would say in the surf industry and i'm, I'm not going to say anything is good or bad what i'm going to say though is that don't worry before this interview is <laughs> over i'm <laughs> yeah. gonna have you saying something's good or okay bad. <laughs> okay um but 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 the, the the other alternative materials that are out there, um, probably the most popular of the alternative materials to those polyesters and polyethanes would be EPS foam and epoxy resin. And I think the main difference between epoxy resin and polyester resin is that epoxy resins, they were engineered from the beginning. Keep in mind, these actually were also originally engineered back in the 50s and 60s as well. Um, they were engineered for performance and they were engineered for performance you have to think at the molecular level how these things behave and when they form a plastic right they start as a liquid resin and form a hard plastic epoxies were engineered to have better mechanical properties so that's first and foremost and the better mechanical properties i'm talking about things like flex and durability it's just to use layman terms um the other big thing difference between polyester and then epoxy resin is that polyester uses what's called styrene styrene is a solvent it's volatile And it's actually on a target list in both the state of California and at the federal level in terms of it being a possible carcinogen. So, you know, it's already been red flagged by those out there. And again, we can go into a debate about this. I don't necessarily want to be, you know, good versus evil here. All I'm saying is it's on a target list regulated by folks out there who are whose job it is to look out for the health and safety of the environment and people. So. Epoxy, its big its big thing is it doesn't need styrene to, to in order to work, and so you can make an epoxy without volatile solvents. So that's just let's just talk about those base materials. Now this is where SuperSAP comes in. Is actually there was a project that me and my brother were hired on way back. We were supposed to make a paddle board for a well known stand up paddle surfer at the time, and he wanted an eco friendly paddle board. And the company that us gave us some resin to use. And it was highly volatile, highly styrenated. They used soy. And what we found out is they were just pouring soybean oil into polyester resin, right, and blending it up and then saying, here's your eco resin, right? It didn't change anything. It actually made the resin weaker and it made it, you still use styrene, which was a volatile. And once you open, you know, it's that smell that whenever you're around a surfboard factory, that smell you know, if you're not used to it, it can knock you out, right? It's pretty pretty potent stuff. So we decided, look, we're working in a in our garages at the time. We don't wanna use this stuff. And so we started looking around and we found out that there was a, a lack of more eco friendly materials, especially in the resin side. People were already working on soy based foams. This is like um uh homegrown mm-hmm. or sorry for, but but uh Mobile the, uh I know who the biofoams. Yeah, bio- yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Home blown. Home blown home blown blades. Ned McMahon. Ned McMahon, yeah. They were pioneering for, for getting soy based foam. Sorry, yeah. Now uh, that, that was a polyurphase, oh, soy poly, based. Okay, soy based. Okay. Okay, so foam. so that was already going, but we saw that no one had developed an eco-friendly resin. That was we saw that as our opportunity. And so when we attack the problem, right now I'm someone coming with a biochemistry background, my brother materials science background in engineering. we're we're pretty scientific about how we do it. And there are two things that we decided to improve upon. One was, look, we can use an epoxy chemistry. That's already mechanically better than polyester. Let's start there. Second is it doesn't have to use salt volatile solvents. So again, another win for an epoxy. The last piece that was missing though was what's the impact on the environment? We didn't know how to measure it. We didn't know how how one would quantitate that. So what we started doing was formulating our own materials and then talking to the vendors who supplied us the bio-based materials, petroleum-based materials, and asking, where do your materials come from? How do you make them, process them? What's the energy used, right? And luckily, we were able to formulate this idea around, look, if we're going to make a better product, let's calculate its carbon footprint. And at the time, this is when life cycle assessments were starting to become popular. There's, it's what's known as an LCA in the sustainability world. It's basically a way to calculate your carbon footprint on something, and it takes into measure all your raw ingredients that from where you grow them to processing them to putting them in a the final product. And transportation, too. And the transportation, everything that goes in, and then actually even the end of life, like what happens mm-hmm. to that product at the end of right. life. And what we found, this took us about three years to actually go through this whole process, work with vendors. And keep in mind, these are vendors who are very secretive about their materials. They don't want to disclose too much. We had to win trust. And, and basically what we proved to the market and to the industry was that, look, we can develop a community of folks who can work here, um, share the, our data and, and define how we, we can calculate a better carbon footprint on a material. And it turns out after all this said and done that um, we have a net reduction in CO2 emissions in the production of super sap versus regular epoxy. And by regular epoxy, I mean petroleum-based epoxy. So the bio-based components that are put into our resins, they happen to come off of the waste feedstocks of other industries, paper pulp processing and biofuels processing. And because of that, there's a net savings in the water and energy used to make our feedstocks to make our resins. And and in sum total, that's what it is. There's a net reduction. So basically the, the numbers are here is that for every ton of petroleum based epoxy that's produced in, by traditional methods, it creates eight tons of co2 emissions for every ton of super sap that gets produced it 's only four tons of co2 emissions so that 's where the net reduction is okay. in, in co 2 so half. we've cut it in half right. and that's for us the big win and if you you know one surfboard okay, but if you start to think about where epoxy is used in the, ge- the world in general, coatings, composites airplanes cars bicycles. It adds up. So was the
2: difficult part in creating the super sap, not necessarily the chemistry, but getting that LCA, doing those three years of getting the information to determine how much better it is, Yeah, you know, a 50% net reduction in yeah. CO2. Was that the difficult part rather than putting the molecules together? Like that's pretty much had already been done, right?
0: Yeah. I think, I think they're both equally hard. Yeah. Uh, now, now, I should also say that the, the chemistry is hard as well because you can't just say, I'm going to make a 50% carbon reduced resin. It still has to perform. It still has to have properties that people want. It still needs to look a certain way. And that's that that combination of things. So the eco is just one more knob that you have to turn on top of formulation problems, cost, you know, everything that it takes to make a product real for someone to use. And so. But that was more in your
2: wheelhouse, though, wasn't it? It seems
0: like you you guys could handle that. That's where you came from
2: educationally. But it was like, get you know. Look, we can make it, but yeah. how much better is it really? Yeah, so yeah. so like, it seems like the big light bulb was when, oh my God, it is way better. It's yeah. twice as good as far as CO2 yeah.
0: output. That was, a, that was definitely the big win. And, and we wouldn't have continued on if we had found that it was. What was, was that like us. for you guys
2: to realize, you know what, we just hit a home run. Basically, we hit a home run. We now have, you know, we have proof that we have an environmentally, you know, a better product. Yeah. That's also, by the way, yeah. you know, works good, looks yeah. good, feels good. has all those material things. It's- Okay, we was saw. That like it. A, yeah.
0: Was that like a yippee, like Shark <laughs> yeah. Tank moment? Yeah. We we saw it that way. Yeah, but the reality is, the world doesn't see it that way. And yeah. that was the, that was the looking back. Now, what year was that? That was like 2009 when we officially launched uh, the resin, right. right? And we saw, okay, we can do this. Like this is like like let's put all our eggs in this basket. And I would say it took us yet probably another two years to, to break we, down the doors. To right? break down the doors, yeah. yeah. And, and and let's let's yeah. speak to those doors sure. because
2: I want the listener to understand that look you can make a great product but if the industry doesn't adopt it you're screwed yeah. basically right yeah. and and what we have really is a bunch of for more or less um, for lack of a better phrase sort of ma and paw glass shops yeah. scattered throughout the coastline of San Diego and around right. the world that's yeah. what the surfboard industry is it's yeah. just a bunch of these little glass shops. Yeah who have done business a certain way for a long time, and God bless them, they're just mm-hmm. trying to make a living like yep. you and I. Yep. And they're they're friends of ours. You yep. know, they're friends of Ray's, they're friends yep. of Scott's. Um, but but they're like, I, I sense that part of it, and I've talked to some of them about it, and they're like, you know what, we tried that in the 80s. Yeah. And, it, and it was hard to to do poly and to do epoxy at the same yeah. time in my factory. And at the end yeah. of the day, the market's telling me that I should do poly because that's yeah. what's buying the boards. Yeah. So that was really the
0: door that, I mean, that's like the yeah. tough we. right how did that happen uh, it, it's it's I can't say that we knew from the start I can say that it worked out in the end and um, the way that I think if I look back retrospectively it's about communicating to the market communicating to the customers communicating to surfers giving them choices and I think I think this the whole Clark foam debacle was a big enough impact that surfers around the world know about it and they know the net impact of that was that hey, more choices in materials, more choices in my surfboard, more choices for me when I go out and want to have fun, and I think I think that is a part that speaks to people out there that, you know, you don't always just have to surf one shape, one one type of board, one material, one construction, and and that was kind of a catalyst to get people thinking that oh let me go try this other resin or that foam or whatever, um, that was definitely a catalyst. I think the other part is you know we work with um in the early days with a with a organization called Sustainable Surf and and Kevin and Michael are these like kind of crazy eco guys out there and they had this idea of like wanting to again what i just talked about talk to consumers to help promote market transformation and they came up with this whole program and um about you know how do you make an eco board and what does that mean now i could say entropies idea of what an eco-resin was, was, was way, way, way high. And we, it almost bit us in the butt in that we put something out that was so high bio content. So probably not use, not similar enough to regular materials that it, it probably turned a lot of people off and it took some dialing it back. It took, you know, making it clearer, making it wider, making it cure faster, making it not have all the issues. And then making making sure that all the performance was there, that, that would make the early market adopters skeptical and sustainable surf um to their credit also defined this as into a tangible tangible thing that they call eco board and i think that's the thing the disconnect that a company like entropy a raw material supplier has in terms of when we talk to customers there's a gap right and sustainable surf filled that gap and i think that was another catalyst that helped The market understand, help customers understand. And when customers start understanding and they demand something, guess what? The manufacturers will make it. And when the manufacturers start making it, they're going to come knocking on my door because Entropy had been making this material for long enough and had been in the market long enough. And we've proven long enough that these are performance materials and there's no sacrifice to any of that, but can still deliver this whole net eco-benefit. And so those things, looking back now, were all catalysts to help us get to where we are now. And now we're servicing some of the largest surfboard companies in the world. Firewire has adopted, you know, SuperSAP in all of its boards, not just eco boards, but just in general, every single board, every single board. So the
2: neat thing that Sustainable Surf did, as you just mentioned, right, is, and if let me just try to characterize yeah. it correctly, you guys were making this great product. Um, but what Sustainable Surf did is they said, "Hey, consumers, this is why this is a great product because yeah. we have created a benchmark, basically yeah. a litmus line, a, right. a test that if you can get to this level, then you are now quote certified. Right. Uh, is it eco eco board? Eco board. Yeah, yeah, you're a certified eco board, and um, they they set the bar relatively low, right. I think, yeah. which is good to kind of get everyone fueled, and sure. so. So now um instead of like this greenwashing where yeah. like hey my board's green because I yeah. said so yeah. you have to go and just at least meet this bare minimum yeah. which is pretty you know pretty low and and that's sort of the beauty of sustainable right is yeah. that they allow the consumer a place to go and go oh th- this board either is or is not eco right. board certified
0: yeah and i would say that's a starting point i mean i would say entropy is on the extreme end of what sustainable or eco is and and you know, to be honest, we put our like medium grade eco out there for mass adoption, but we still have things that are way, way higher. And we have a totally different benchmark than sustainable surf in terms of things that we qualify right. um, as a company. We also donate to 1% for the planet. Right. Like for us, that's also part of being eco is making sure that you can give back part of your profits to help yeah. the environment out. Um, so we do additional things on top of that. I, I do think, though, that there needed to be a starting point. And that's the starting point for the industry is this is where the conversation begins is tell you what, let's you know, if we start here, where can we go? And this is where like Entropy and, and Marco Foam, who make the recycled EPS and and others out there who make other eco versions of Foam are we're all putting our best foot forward. It's up to the industry to adopt something. Yeah. What the industry is going to adopt, right, via sustainable surf, they've spoken, right? Okay, that's what we're willing to adopt. Now our job as all the materials companies out here, foam, resin suppliers, we need to push the boundaries about what becomes sustainable. So by the time, you know, the regular eco board benchmarks are adopted, guess what? That's mainstream now. Right. right? That's just regular surfboards. Yeah. Right the next sustainable may be recyclable. It may be made out of mushroom foam. It may be made out of agave. It may be made of who knows what, right? That's the exciting in,
2: part. In many ways, right, yeah. this this best in show that we're doing in a couple of weeks at the, at the boardroom show, that's sort of the idea behind that, that you and Ty threw out there was like, let's push the limits as well so we yeah. can continue forging a new path yeah. here. Yeah. What do you say? Now, I've, I've literally, and I think you and I have had this conversation, but I've literally spoken to a guy who said, you know what, Scott, S- fact is surfboards, really good surfboards are made out of really poisonous materials. Right. Um, what do you say to that guy? Is he just naive? Is he ignorant? Um
0: so, I mean, there's some... You there's, can say that. Sure, sure. No, no, like, no. You're no, naive, no. you're ignorant. No, no, no. It depends, I, you know, it depends on where, where they heard certain things come from. I'm coming from a chemistry background, right? I, I'm in the chemicals industry. I talk to the biggest chemical companies in the world who make these materials as well. Um, I've asked about what goes into polyurethane foam. I've asked about TDI, the culprit material that helped get Clark Foam shut down, um, Toluene diisocyanate is not a healthy material. There are healthier materials out there as options. Now, there's going to be a difference in performance. And this is where the water gets murky. This is the part where it's hard to choose a side because once you start using alternatives, the industry maybe hasn't discovered what makes the best foam out of the healthier alternatives yet. It's going to take time. So what do you do in the meantime? Do you tell people entirely, hey, don't use that anymore? And guess what? All of a sudden, you can't get phone blanks anymore because it's totally banned. So, you know, me being someone who's on the sustainable front, I also see the side where it's like, how do you how and where do you start drawing the lines on? What on is this performance?
2: Why? Are, I don't. Are you sure yeah. that we're lacking performance on the environment? when no. I mean, you say that and I've kind of questioned whether Joe Blow, who goes down to Surfride or Hanson's or Jack's Surf Shop or HSS or yeah. wherever. Yeah. And buys a surfboard, doesn't know and doesn't care and yeah. won't be able to notice if yeah. there even is a difference. That's true. The difference between a resin and, and the flex patterns yeah. of that resin. I mean, they're just trying to catch the yeah. wave for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. 90% of the consuming yeah. surf public, yeah. you know, that we're
0: not John John Florence, you know. Yeah. I think it's a bigger problem than just saying there's a material and then there's a surfer. It's everything in between. Right? It's the guys who make the board, it's the guys who design the boards, it's the guys who put them together. It's actually that entire supply chain needs to figure out how do I use the healthier materials and take advantage of their properties, inherent properties, and make a better board out of it. The problem is when you start just swapping in eco or bio or anything and then you say use this as a drop-in alternative... Get that gets a becomes really hard problem. That was that's where I'm saying there's just so many variables. So many variables. Like, yeah, it's like how do you just say and, oh, then, I'm gonna... and somebody immediately throws a blanket on it like oh it
2: didn't work. Yeah, because but, that's exactly. But it. it's like yeah, well you know what the, the ideal situation is this foam, this resin, this time exactly. Blah, blah, blah. But they're going yeah. you know just give me everything, but I want the super sap or whatever, yeah. and oh it didn't work, so yeah. that's lame. Yeah. That's just ignorance. Yeah,
0: and that's why I'm saying the conversation where we're at today is in the infancy because. We're starting at where the industry is willing to adopt. And it's basically, it's where, what I just said, they're only willing to adopt drop-in replacements today. But I know there are shapers out there who are experimenting with the coolest new biomaterials, the coolest new eco-friendly materials, and totally changing their construction. They're totally changing the way they design a board, the shape, the flex, everything, the fins, to take advantage of those inherent properties that are in the healthier material. And that's where I think we need to head. It's, so the problem is really that we're so used to poly, the poly world. We're lazy. We're lazy. Yes, it's just and and you know, I it's hard for me to say it's anyone's fault because again, like we like you just mentioned, guys got to make a buck, right? Yeah. Guys got to make a buck, and guess what? We're used to making things a certain way, right. and it's you know where you know I can't I can't blame anyone for that. Yeah. right? the industry is it's a very complicated thing, and and that's why for me it's hard to say it's anyone. Do you thing.
2: think that the ma and pa glass shops are going to at some point retrofit or is the transformation rather in new glass shops that spring up and start as for lack of a better phrase eco board glassing houses
0: right i i it's it's starting to happen i think um you know there's a few handful of glass shops out there who do that you could even look back to the days when stretch stretch kind of Pioneered epoxy epoxies. Or well, there's guys in the '80s that yeah. were
2: doing it. Um, Clyde Beatty Jr. Yeah. was a big time epoxy guy, right. and Steve Brom. And exactly. this was like '81 yeah. or earlier, maybe. Yeah. And um, some other guys too. I know that the guys at Moonlight they played with it, and it's interesting because I think what kicked it off, at least for some of them, was the sailboard, the windsurfing right. revolution. Yeah, but anyway, interrupt. Go ahead. No,
0: sorry. no, I, I think that, that that was definitely a starting point. I think the epoxy choices they had at the day at that time of day. They were not the best choices. Like, that's what the industry had, and they were not the healthiest either. So, a lot of guys got burned on that. They were yellow, yellow. they yellowed really yeah. fast. They were highly sensitizing, meaning you could get allergic to it really right. quickly. Yeah. And um, yeah, they were strong, but it's like, you know, the surfboard industry wasn't really into that, a yellow surfboard that, right. you know, like my glasses could get sick from. That's, what's the point then? Yeah, right? yeah, there's
2: a lot of lose-lose there. Yeah,
0: but <laughs> what happened was, you know, to, to, to the credit of a lot of the epoxy pioneers out there is they stuck with it. They waited for the industry to come up with better epoxy materials. And now it's at a point where, yeah, epoxy is actually, you know, a stronger, clearer material that over poly and you know there's it's a lot safer now than back in the day so it's a better choice so now.
2: interestingly it could be argued and they might be Firewire surfboards uses only your super sap on every single board they do any Firewire you see in the market has your resin mm-hmm. on it right um, this is a great thing. They're probably, if not already, the largest surfboard manufacturer in the world, right?
0: Yeah. I, I don't know numbers. Um, I would assume. I mean, now like... that Kelly
2: Slater's on board, <laughs> yeah.
0: there's only
2: upside, right? Yeah. And this is one of the reasons, one of probably a bunch of different reasons yeah. that Kelly got involved is that yeah. he saw the environmental upside to this because he's he's like-minded. Yeah. I,
0: like minded. Yeah, I'm on the assumption, just like uh, most of the market out there, that Firewire is a major producer. I think to their credit, they've decided early on in a Mark Price's credit, they decided early on that sustainability was a part of their mission on top of performance or in addition to performance. Like and that was a cool thing is they never sacrificed performance. And now that you have Kelly, the foremost uh, surfer out there who cares about performance and also one of the leaders who cares about sustainability, I mean, a guy who bought back carbon credits. You know, for all his years of traveling to contests, that's I mean, awesome. That's huge, right? And those, so those. I did two, not know that. Kelly oh, Slater yeah.
2: bought back carbon credits. Yeah, that's, that's cool. so.
0: It's amazing that those guys have teamed up now, and I think you know, it's testament to where the world is heading. Is I think, uh, yeah, the writing's on the wall. If I go on a surf
2: trip, how many? Um, what's my carbon footprint like? Like, in other words, um, you know, I often think, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to. I'm gonna go green. I'm gonna better my situation and, and like leave the wood pile a little higher than when I got here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna buy an environmentally uh, sensitive eco board. Okay, aren't I better off just not going on a trip to Indo? Like, how much carbon footprint is in an airplane? Is I mean, it, is it like, how many surfboards? <laughs> like, can you can you tell me that a trip to Indo is equal to me building like? 50 or 100 polyurethane surfboards.
0: Yeah, I can't, I can't. You don't know those I, numbers? I don't know that number <laughs> on the top, man. It's huge, though. I mean, transportation is the killer in terms of carbon footprint. And right. yeah, I think there are everyday lifestyle choices that people can make about like, you know, do I need to drive a certain place? But, you know, part of being eco is also about what is my life like in terms of the lifestyle or the life choices that I make? Are you sacrificing what you're here for, which is to live, right? If I don't go on the surf trip and I don't get to experience things and maybe I'm not exposed to new cultures or whatever it is, is that any better for the world? I don't know, right? So there's, again, a gray area in sustainability is like how much sacrifice can you make to be eco versus versus like say being totally eco? And, and guess what? You live in a cave and you use sticks to make fire and you you know hunt squirrels for food. Like is that – like, I don't know what that world looks I'm like. I'm down with squirrel.
2: I'm okay with squirrel. I've been known to go with the squirrel jerky. Yeah. But, but you, you know, you bring up a great point, and, yeah. and even to bring it back to Firewire a little bit, is, is some people might argue, and I know Mark has, um, Mark and I have talked about this, and maybe you can touch on this a little bit. Um, you know, the boards are made in Asia, and the transportation for those boards to come over here, sort of, does that wipe out right. the... The, the benefit and and, yeah. and if I can just chime in I, I would say this that that to me this whole idea of of being environmentally conscious mm-hmm. is is about just that being conscious mm-hmm. of it like mm-hmm. I don't know if I should cancel my trip to Indo yeah. or I'm probably not gonna yeah. but the idea that that we're an industry that can actually make a change because we are relatively a right. bunch of small small ma and paws and right. we can actually retrofit or start to slowly transform our glass house into something that's better the fact that our industry is in a unique place that we can actually make these changes and because we're surfers and we Mm -hmm. care about the environment and we live and our life is ingrained and enmeshed in the environment that we just have to do this Mm -hmm. like it's it's you know what i mean it's not necessarily like does one equal the other it's more like a big picture thing like why wouldn't we right anyway i don't mean to pontificate but
0: no no i I think so let me address that first point you talked about transportation, so sustainable surf looked at carbon footprint studies, and it's actually well published. There are a lot of carbon footprint studies talking about transportation of consumer goods across the ocean by boat, um, and that's how most of all the stuff that we buy from yeah. from everything Asia everything in walmart, yeah. walmart. Yeah. it 's all delivered in these huge containers on giant ships, okay yeah. yes, that costs energy that 's part of the equation. but when you actually run the numbers, the lCA the lCA the yes. life cycle assessment it 's a small fraction of the total carbon footprint of all the materials that go in using the energy to make raw materials is actually the bulk of what the carbon footprint is where does, where do those raw materials come from. The transportation is just, yeah, again, single digits in right. terms of the percentage. Negligible. Of negligible. Where, yeah. where as long as you make better choices on materials, you can override that, that right. cost. So that argument's
2: null and void. Whenever I hear that, I can just go, it's negligible. Yeah. Because I hear that a lot from it, the naysayers. It, yeah. yeah.
0: And, and, and again, like, you know, we can go to the literature and start looking at these studies to understand where that carbon footprint lays. It's also not known, right, the way the industry actually delivers surfboards, say, here – how much driving is there to build one board, right? It's going from a shaper to a glasser to a shop and back and forth between all those people. I don't know. Like, someone has to do that study before you can say. I change the better.
2: colors on my board
0: so yeah. many times that I drive to the glass <laughs> house four or five times
2: just to get the color right. <laughs> yeah. That's how disgusting it is. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so again, so someone really needs to do that study before you can say one is totally good or one is bad. All I'm saying is that someone did look at the transportation of goods my boat from manufacturing overseas and it's it's minor compared to all the materials that go into making that and, and
2: again it gets to me you know it gets to that place where why are we nitpicking over this really in the big picture let's look at global perspective why sure. wouldn't we as surfers want a, a more environmentally friendly surfboard like yeah there's there's no reason why we wouldn't yeah and the argument that oh my board won't work is good i think there is some validity to that mm-hmm. but i i don't know that that's the case i, I know yeah. that I have ridden poly I ride poly um both mm-hmm. and um I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. You know there's this dampening, you know you hear the word dampening, there's yeah. this there's sort of this softer and I don't even know if it's right. true or not, you know, but I do get the sense that if I'm riding a longer epoxy surfboard uh with an EPS core mm-hmm. that it's a little bit more like, you know, um you know like a little bit more rigid perhaps. Ping-pong-y. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 so there's this dampening. I've even heard some, a really well-known a legendary san diego shaper say um you know a board a polyurethane boards at its best two weeks before it delaminates right. because it's just beautifully yeah. beautifully flexed, flexed yeah. you know
0: so so you're dampening that most surfers experience and say that's the magic flex property that's actually your board breaking over time right <laughs> your foam is crumbling yes your glass is cracking and your resin is breaking and eventually gets to the perfect breaking point Another and then friends. it either dies or, or it just becomes, like, you know, useless. The flex is gone, right? Yeah. And that's a, the that's a thing with, like, the new – like, they're not even newer materials. That's the crazy part. EPS epoxy has been around for a long time. Yeah. Those things can maintain their property. I think the problem that, as you described, like, the difference in feeling that could be a turnoff. Is that mental? No, no. There's actually a difference in feeling, yeah. but the thing is it's because we as the board builders have tried to design EPS epoxy as a drop-in replacement for poly. Right. It just right. doesn't work that way. Right. You have to reconstruct and take advantage of those properties. So guys like Fireware started playing with different construction techniques. Guys right. like e started playing with the different layups. Guys all over the world started messing with construction so that they can get the right tuning. Right. And there's right? so much interesting stuff yeah. out there, isn't yeah. there?
2: Cause I know that, you know, there's different... Um, even the stringers now aren't necessarily all made of wood. They're made of other composites yep. and stuff. And yep. there's all this um, sort of inlay stuff that they're putting in the middle of foam blanks. Yep. And, I mean, it really is sort of wide open. And we really are... There's almost so much stuff that it's, it's semi-overwhelming, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know. Like, totally. But anyway, it's good that we're there, right?
0: Yeah. No, no. And it's all progress. And that's how I, I see it is, like, as long as there's progress... And and people are interested in progress. I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing to have choices, right? How
2: many surfboard manufacturers are making boards with your super sap resin? Um, pretty what much, percentage of the market do you oh, think, or I've, or how many manufacturers are purely using super sap? I, um, I mean, is grain?
0: Yeah, grain surfboards. Grain Firewire. Yeah, pretty much every Moss, major. Jake is Jake Jake, Jake Moss eTech. You know, Wagner uses John a lot Wagner. Of it. A lot of you know, from from small shaper to big shaper, we we're across the game. And up in San Francisco,
2: yeah. you have a pretty good foothold, don't you? Do you? Are there yeah. guys up
0: there that are yeah that are on board? Uh, Danny Hess was like of one of our big proponents early right. on and still supports us today. Um, he gets all his boards glassed at Stretch. Uh, Stretch is an epoxy pioneer, so like right. you know, to be able to go through there, he's sort hole. of that classic windsurfer guy. Stretch is one of those yeah. guys that I think was used yep. to it. Yeah, and th- those guys care about performance first and foremost, and so I think that's the testament here is that exactly. that we've passed the performance test. Now we're just trying to get people to understand that it is a better material because of all the kind of quantitative stuff we put behind it. So, well, you you know you talked a little bit about, you know, the
2: entropy resins are sort of um you know, they're they're how would I f- phrase it? They're sort of like mid-level Eco board resins, but you uh, and your brother love to push the limits. You're pushing the limits way beyond what's available to the mass marketplace. Like there's stuff that you guys are creating that's mental. Yeah. And one of those things is this recyclamine. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So tell us a little bit about recyclamine in sort of a nutshell. Okay. Um, And why I know that you're excited about it. I'm excited about hearing about it. So recyclamine. This is that sort of new pushing the
0: envelope of an eco resin. Yep. So so. Key things here in a nutshell. One is we've been able to engineer a chemistry that can make epoxies recyclable. And we're also working on making all resins recyclable. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it's a technology platform for us. So um, we spun this out in its own company. It's called Kenora Technologies. It's a platform chemistry company where we want to go work with every resin company. Kenora, like the name of your mother or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's actually even the first two like names. a woman's first name. Right? I know, I know. It, well, it's the first two names of one of the co-founders of the company. Right. Um, so of, 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 their kids, of their I kids. I apologize. Yeah. Okay. It's the first two names of their, the kids right. of the co-founder. Anyway um so yeah kenora technologies is a platform technology and we want to go out there and put this technology in the world where every resin company can take advantage of it right so even though entropy helped create this thing we're spinning it out into the world so that the world can benefit from this right and this is the difference is that it's not working in a silo anymore it's about making sure that a technology is available for everyone so that guess what at the end of the day all the waste manufacturing that comes out of the composites industry so we're talking cars airplanes sporting goods building materials and surfboards all of the waste that comes out of that imagine if you could recycle all that waste and then at the end of life of those products right you could take those products and recycle those get back all the raw materials so what if you could actually get back your foam blank reshape it melt it down turn it into a new product Take the resin back, and when we recycle the resin, we actually get back a plastic that can be injection molded. So, we're working with some partners here to, to sh- turn these actually into surfing products as well. Um, you get back all the fiberglass, carbon fiber, all the plugs, and everything that you put in that thing, you can reuse it all. And that's the thing is like, you know, having been with. So, ent- let me yeah. back up.
2: So, the Recyclamine, if yeah. I had a Recyclamine surfboard, right, I could use it until I broke it. Yep. And then take it and we could somehow do some sort of chemical reaction on it yeah and and melt it down to a place where is that what we do so, do so, we melt so, it down do so we, i'll
0: describe the process the chemistry that we came up with is essentially we're able to install what we're calling a chemical zipper into the resin backbone so when the resin forms a hard plastic right we can treat can reverse it, engineer we can it. reverse that bond right with a what's a what we call a ph trigger meaning uh, we use That's too much. Okay. We use, we use vinegar. <laughs> Just say How about vinegar? How okay. about vinegar, vinegar. Yeah. Okay. We use vinegar right. actually. So vinegar is, is an acid. Right. Acetic acid. It's a weak acid, but we can get it with some heat and a little bit of time. We can get that resin to totally dissolve. So imagine you can go on YouTube and look this up. If you YouTube Conora Recyclable Epoxy, you'll see a video of us dissolving epoxy, pulling out fiber parts, carbon fiber, uh-huh. fiberglass, things like that. Uh, we actually have a video of us recycling a ski. Um, yeah. And then you, we actually can take that dissolved resin and we can extract the resin back out of it by neutralizing the acid. So we put a little bit of base in there. It becomes – Do you get just a hideous color? Like
2: how do you clean – Like, But it doesn't matter because you take that and you inject. You do little widgets. You do. Yeah. You make this thing with it. It becomes a white plastic. A yeah, exactly. And, and yeah.
0: that's how the world makes plastic parts is they, they put some dye in it and, yeah. and they, they can – you make your next widget. So and, not only the yeah. board, but
2: all the raw materials, all the cuttings on the cutting room floor, yep.
0: all that stuff, every little 100%
2: yep. of it, because of recyclamine and where yep. we're going, yep. we can recycle, reverse engineer yep. it, and take it all back and make new products yep. with that surfboard. Yep. So,
0: so what if your glasser could recycle all his paintbrushes, all his buckets, all the drippings from the floor? Like all, all that stuff could be recycled too. And we actually are yearning for that. We want to go find builders who want to use this material. We'll take all your waste, right? Now you don't have to throw it in the dumpster anymore. Just we'll come take it and we'll go recycle it and we'll turn it into new products. Right? That's value. Yeah,
2: the plastic <laughs> um, holders of the beer can that the glasser is drinking a six <laughs> right. pack out of, or that thing that's like been tying up fishing lines and killing fish. That thing is now recyclable. You can make that recyclable. Yeah. Well, it's uh, pretty exciting. I'm, you know. um I'm really excited to do we get to see recyclamine at the boardroom show?
0: Yeah, so we'll be previewing it there. Um, enjoy hand planes. The guys who make the body surfing hand planes have been helping us pioneer this application in surfing. They make their current hand planes out of a mushroom core. So, this is a wood core, or it's not even wood, it's like made from agricultural waste and then mushrooms. Is that the eco guys? Ecovative. Ecovative, yeah. yeah. And, Eco-vative. and so these yeah. guys came up with a wood substitute. And then, but the problem is, you can't, you know, at the end of life, you can't actually compost this anywhere because you put a permanent resin over it. And that's where Recyclamine came in. So, Enjoy has been working with us to coat these things with our Recyclamine. And then, um, you know, they're actually sold in Patagonia stores today. So, they'll be previewing this at the boardroom show. Uh, as part of uh, Best in Show. And and um, will you be melting down one of these hand planes for us at the show? Like yeah. <laughs> will we see the
2: process go down or is it too chemically volatile to, to do? Uh,
0: we'll it? probably have samples there of things that have been recycled. And we may have like one that's like kind of partially recycled in vinegar so that people can come and see it. We'll have oh, cool. videos running so people can see that it's oh, actually a real thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Well, I'm holding yeah. in
2: my And I, I'll interrupt real quick I'm holding in my hands One of the mushroom foam cores It's not foam It's mushroom core
0: Yeah
2: uh, Hand planes And it it's very solid And it looks a lot like um Like a compressed Like a um Like a piece What's that particle word? Particle board Particle board yeah, yeah, compressed particle board It looks yep. like the particle board You'd get at Home Depot Yep And um, Ed Lewis and the guys that enjoy planes will have some of these to show off, too. Yeah. Well, look, we've got this Best in Show coming up, right? Um, Entropy Resins and Marco Foam are presenting Sustainable Surf's Best in Show. Um, I really, really appreciate Ray and the guys at Entropy and Ty at Marco stepping up. By the way, these guys, these two guys, these two companies have been stepping up for a long time. And uh, you guys deserve all the credit in the world for sort of leading the way, continuing to lead the way. As you know, there's there's going to be a bunch of players in the space yeah. now. And, you know, we were just talking to a guy who's got an entirely agave, 100% agave surfboard, you know, which is yeah. really out of left field. Yeah. Uh, but there's some guys that are actually trying to tap into the marketplace, you know, mm-hmm. and, and take a little bit of your business away, perhaps, and maybe not, and whatever. And the competition's a good thing, right? Yeah. But it, it's great that you guys stepped up for Best and Show and that you're going to, we're going to see. A lot of these new companies, these new resins, we're going to see Recyclamine. Mm-hmm. Pretty excited about it, um, as you can tell. Or maybe it's the
0: coffee <laughs> working, but, <laughs> but we're I, excited too. We're well, excited I mean, to. what do
2: you expect? Uh,
0: you know, to, uh, out of Best in Show, what are you expecting to see there? I, I would love to see people pushing the bar. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Is like you're talking to guys who have been trying to push the bar and have kind of, you know, have kind of been beaten up for doing it, right? And I would love to see people join the club, right? To me, it's okay if we have more competition. The more the merrier because in the at the end of the day, this should be better for the planet if people are really trying to replace their mainstream products and materials with things that are healthier for the planet, right? And so, you know, we we would be hypocrites to say that that's not a good thing. Um, you know, business is business, look. And I and I could say that entropy We've made our choices about how we want to compete. And for us it's all about innovating, pushing the bar. We're the only company who only does eco products. We don't have some non-eco product out there that we're pushing. We're only doing this. We're the only material company that's donating the one percent for the planet. You know, we're trying to walk the walk as much as we can for a small materials company. And I think, you know, that's something that We try and share that passion with our customers and the market, and I think people see that. And for us, Best in Show is a great platform for that. That's why we chose to co-sponsor with Marco, because for us, here's our opportunity to say, look, you know, we know there's competition out there, but you know what? Come on in, right? Like, come join Best in Show. Come be there, because this is where we think things should be heading.
2: Which is the uh, good resin and foam?
0: What's the good resin and foam? Okay. Uh, good in what regard? <laughs> well, I'm just teasing
2: you because you said you would yeah. never – I was setting you up to yeah, – this yeah, is yeah. your chance to say
0: Entropy Resins oh, and yeah, yeah. Marco No, I, I think yeah, – no, no. From the start, Entropy and Marco, look, we decided as individual companies to support a sustain, more sustainable product in our offerings. And and we did that from the beginning. And you know, Marco has been a great partner in that. They've always been there. And it's a natural fit for us to co-sponsor Best in Show. Those are great guys. We love working with Marco. And, and so, yes, at the end of the day, you know, I would love to see people making recycled foam blanks out of the, the recycled styrofoam that comes from recycled consumer, po- post-consumer waste. And then entropy super sap, which has a demonstrated lower carbon footprint and is safer uh, for the environment and shapers and glassers um, than traditional you know, surfboard materials. So in that regard, you know, to me, those are the best materials available. And they're currently the best materials for mainstreaming the industry. But, you know, who knows what's ahead, right? Like, I would love to see people pushing the boundaries about what's more sustainable than what we currently offer today.
2: And, and the good news is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a surfer today can go order a new board and have super sap resin. And they can safely say that it's got 50% less net carbon footprint than if they used a poly a polyurethane Polyester, uh, resin, polyester, polyester resin.
0: or petroleum epoxy, yes.
2: Okay, well, I mean, right there, yeah. you're, you've, you've made it, you know, as a surfer, you've made a great choice for the yeah. environment. So, yeah. and it's that easy, you yeah. know, just super sap resin. Yep. Boom. It,
0: and, and even if that, even if that, if, if you just chose to support a company whose sole mission is to, to basically make products that are healthier and support other companies who also make, you know, uh, efforts to protect the environment, you know, just feel good about that choice, right?
2: All right. Well, Ray, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us. I feel like I've learned a lot. You know, it's, it is sort of, um, you know, for your average layperson surfer such as myself, it's just uh, you hear so many things, you, you just get sort of a muddy, foggy version of what it means to be eco-friendly and have an eco-board, and uh, I certainly have some clarity now. So sure. thanks, and we'll see you
0: uh, at Best of Show.
1: Thanks a lot Scott. Appreciate it. You. Dr. Bonitao. Forgive me for forgetting the doctor earlier in the episode. All right. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and I hope that you're enjoying the Rio pro. I really thought day one was pretty exciting and, um, Man, Brazilian Storm going nuts. Good to see Slater performing at the top of his game like the olden days. Hopefully we'll see that throughout the year and throughout the rest of this event. And um, hopefully I will get to see you this weekend if you're in Southern California, near San Diego, the Boardroom Show at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. And the Boardroomshow.com is Scott's website where you can get all the information. All a name tag on if you want to try to track me down. Look for David Scales. All right, and uh, hope that you're catching a few waves. Come to surfsplendorpodcast.com to see everything related to this show. And also make sure, whatever you do, check out uh, The Fisherman's Son about Ramon Navarro by Chris Malloy. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. So we've got that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. All right, we're pushing well over two hours for this episode, so I will shut up and just... Encourage you to go get in the water, get a few waves, and shred on.
0: What is doing. And then will just start doing what other people are doing aware of it and it in an artistic manner.